Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. think I have a Bluetooth issue. You said you think you have a Bluetooth issue? I, yeah. Hmm. I'm still learning how Bluetooth works. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Because it's useful when it works. There we go. All right. I think that that's on. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, and the Bluetooth didn't work. Okay, that's all right. We're okay. <clears throat> How are you? I am all right, and yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've been sick recently quite severely, so I've been AWOL and uh, struggling, but that's life, right? Oof, sorry to hear that. That's all right, it's all right. It's a, uh, you know, when you, have three autoimmune diseases they all have symptoms and you can manage but sometimes all all the symptoms hit at the same time and that that can take you out for like weeks right yeah, yeah that makes sense a perfect storm but such is life 
you know, I was talking with someone earlier today about Damien Eccles and, uh, when I'm when I whenever I'm whenever I'm on the verge of feeling hard done by I just uh, remember him and I'm like yeah you know it's, right yeah he's been through it I feel like deeply affected as a human being by what was done to him do you know what I mean yeah I can see that, especially I think a lot of people um, in the magical or occult communities feel a particular like that could have been me when I was a teenager, but you know, exactly. this random poor innocent kid, but it could have been any of us. When I, I just found out about him this year and I, I checked out one of the documentaries and he looks even his, the way he dressed was so similar to me in the nineties, you know, mm -hmm. and that could have been any of us in the right wrong time and place. Right. And, uh, you know, how, how many of us as teens were into white witchcraft and had long black hair and pentagrams. Right. Right. It's terrifying. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have like much lesser stories of like, Oh man, some unfair shit was done to me when I was a teenager because I looked weird. But like that one is uh, pretty up there <laughs> as far as those stories go. It's uh, one of the most extreme, if not the most extreme one you're going to hear. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, but then he, he moves forward by like the very thing, his very interest that, that led to him being a suspect and then imprisoned was the thing that then got him through it, which is just so powerful, sort of ironic mm -hmm. in a way, but just like, what the fuck do you do with that? It's like, it makes, it, it, and sometimes it makes me feel like daunted that I've, I've never overcome any adversity because that adversity that he's overcome and survived is, yeah, it, I, it, it makes me speechless, it really does. Right. Have you uh, watched Midnight Gospel yet? Oh, many times. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize until later that the episode of Midnight Gospel where they're talking to a ceremonial magician, it wasn't until after I like looked on the credits to be like, who is that? That I realized it was Damien Eccles, um, who I knew about before and I knew his story, but they don't really talk in that about his story. It's just him talking about magic, not getting into like the whole, okay, this is where you would know me from. And you know, yeah. this is the super fucked up thing that happened to me. He's just talking about magic in it as, you know, a general subject. Absolutely. He's, uh, yeah. I, I knew it was him when I heard that episode, but I actually got confused between that episode and the one with Jason Louvre. So I thought it, his episode was Jason Louv talking, but I'm like, that doesn't sound like Jason Louv. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, when I first watched through Midnight Gospel, I didn't realize at first, like, what was going on with, like, okay, it's going to be interviews with actual people, and then we've just assigned wacky cartoon characters to them. But they're actually talking about their real-life stuff. And then... Once I got in an episode or two, I was like, okay, this is what's happening. <laughs> this, is what's, this is what I'm in for. Right. And I found the actual uh, podcast 
recently too and started listening to that a little bit um but i do think midnight gospel is better than the podcast that it came from like it's it's the same interviews i didn't realize um, yeah it's uh the duncan trussell family hour is what the podcast is called right yeah. and then he just took like the best segments from his podcast and made the cartoon yeah absolutely brilliant just brilliant yeah um yeah duncan trussell's sort of a strange inspiration uh bridge between the popular world and the occult i mean yeah, who i suppose so who else? i think he's a stand-up comedian too oh, big time like I, yeah. I i was i was watching an episode of uh you know that semi-famous podcast by joe rogan and uh yeah. and, <laughs> that and, podcast some people have heard of from joe rogan <laughs> he's got like like uh a few listeners and he's he's building right he's building he's, he's right working. yeah <laughs> um, he'll get there and <laughs> and and i was watching this episode with him and duncan and then duncan's like yeah man and that's that's all from like the hermetic order of the golden dawn you know about that and he's like no what's the hermetic order? i'm like and i was my eyes i like almost dropped my drink i was like what the fuck did they just say <laughs> because you know it's not exactly been a popular thing throughout history certainly not mainstream in even the slightest regard and they moved on from it quite quickly because clearly joe rogan has got no point of reference and doesn't really care about that sort of stuff um mm -hmm. And, but it was like, wow, Duncan Trussell's just like, just, he doesn't have any limits to what he's interested in. And he explores it shamelessly, which is something we could all learn from, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I sound a little low energy, it's just because I've been up since 4am. So pardon my. Uh, oh, goodness. My energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's that's the nature of, you know being ill and lock being locked in like i can't remember the last time i saw a real human being that's a not entirely true but you know what i mean right yeah I, are you guys locked down very hard uh yeah i'm in michigan so we're stricter with it than most of the united states is in fact um on the rare occasion that i've left my immediate region um it's kind of weird because like I'm very used to like they won't let me in the store without a mask on yeah. and then um like I went to Indiana to go meet up with some guys from the OEM for a Samhain thing and like I stopped to get gas and I put my mask on and I walk in and I'm like I'm the only person in this gas station with a mask on I look like a weirdo do I take the mask off what do I do <laughs> So yeah, I, I'm oh. getting looks walking down the street now, nowhere near anyone, but people are walking on the other side of the street will have a mask on and they'll stare at me and glare at me because I I don't have my mask on walking down the street alone. And I, I see right. and everyone in the car alone is wearing masks now. And when I got back up to Canada at the Equinox, no one was wearing masks anywhere, but now people mm -hmm. are wearing them alone in their cars and probably in their homes as well which is just funny on so many horrifying levels yeah some people have taken it a little far um i know i go jogging and i've started i did one jog where it started snowing halfway through my jog and now i'm back to the treadmill for the season but um 
there were a few times that I was out jogging and I don't jog with a mask on because I'm going to pass out if I try to do that. And I'm by myself anyway. Um, and there was like one time that there was a guy on his bike and he had his mask on and he like turned around and went past me several times. And it like, well, he's like glaring at me. And it was like, did you just come back past me again? So that you could glare at me for not having, like, you, if anything, you're maximizing your exposure to me by doubling back so you can make a judgmental face again. Like, it's fine, dude. Yeah, these are people that need some hobbies. They need to uh, get into stand-up comedy or something healthy like that, you know? Express. Uh, I don't know about stand-up comedy being healthy. I've met other stand-up comedians. Um yeah, you're, and you're they're great people, but I wouldn't say we're all the healthiest. Uh, my roommate Lee seems pretty healthy, she's also a stand up comedian. Really? Um, you know, it's funny, they, they always say, like, the, the common saying is that everyone bombs their first time, but you really didn't. I, I watched it and it was hilarious. We, I was, we were laughing out loud here in the house. Well, thank you very much. Um, I did have a little bit of an advantage in that I did radio for several years and I quit radio um, because I didn't like having like guys in suits come in and be like, these are the things you need to talk about. You can't, you're not relatable if you talk about this or this. You need to pretend like you celebrate Christmas so that you'll seem more relatable. Um, and then also there was like a weird pressure of like, you always have to be nice to everyone you see in public because that's a potential listener. And to some extent, I get that. But like if a creepy dude comes up behind me in a bar and starts rubbing my shoulders without my permission, I'm not going to be like, that's a potential listener. I have to be nice. No, you're a creepy dude who's touching me without my permission. Right. Like there's no and <laughs> dollar signs don't factor into it. Like take your hands off me. Um, so I had quit radio, but I really missed writing and performing my own content. So when I moved to Kalamazoo, the city I'm in now, they actually had a stand-up comedy scene. So that's, you know, it was my first time doing stand-up, the video that you watched, but it wasn't my first time writing and performing my own comedy, just like in front of a live audience like that. Right. Yeah, no, I guess there's some transference of the skills a bit. Though not, it's not a strict transference, though, you know, because, like, you can, you can, uh, like, you were mentioning, you, you were mentioning, of course, famously to me, that about how the podcasting has improved. But I have all the background you'd expect from someone who could, like, nail it out, out of the gate, but I definitely haven't and don't know if I will. But that's partly, partly, I think, because when you're doing a new medium and performing in any way or entertaining or, or whatever, um, you have to, you ask yourself different questions in, in the new medium. Right. And you don't necessarily want right. to do the same thing or rely on the same tricks you've used before. Like, you know, I've done tons, so many shows and, and before that so many initiations and ceremonies, but though, and teaching, right. All that stuff I could have put together packaged in a formulaic way and presented spick and span all professional like but when i asked myself questions about what i wanted to do i was very clear that i didn't want to rely on any of that stuff does that make sense right well and there are you know there are 
things that transfer over and there are things that don't. So like I was just talking to a friend the other day who has been in radio for decades and uh, he mentioned that he's always wanted to try stand up. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, next time, like when stand up exists again and we can go to live shows, like totally you should come up here. Like we'll do a show together, you know? And he's like, oh no, I couldn't do that. I get stage fright. And I'm like, you like, <laughs> you've been live on the air like five days a week for 20 years or something. And he's like, yeah, that's different. I can't see those people. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, some things carry over and some things don't. Um, There's also in intention, like what you want to achieve. And I know that the things that I enjoy, like about um, when I, when I like, when I would lecture or teach, I, I like to present, you know, clear, concise, information and I like to repeat it in numerous ways as as perfectly as I can right because mm -hmm. I'm trying to get a message across I'm trying to get the information across to everyone in the classroom or lecture hall and people understand things in different ways so it's good to say the same thing in in a variety of ways so that it gets through to everyone right but podcasting to me it's it's more human like it's not about the information as much as it's about the medium that's communicating the information. Like there's a hermeneutic question there, there your people are interested or when I listen to a podcast, I'm interested in the interpreter as much, if not more as I, than I'm interested in the information that they're interpreting. Right. Well, and it's also um, like in a podcast too, people can rewind if they're like, I'm not sure I got that concept. Whereas like if you're lecturing in a, like a college class, yeah. they can't rewind. They can like, I mean, some people, I guess, record lectures if the school still allows them to do that. Some professors don't like it anymore or what have you, but like, you know, they can come and ask you a question if they're not too nervous to do that. But there's always going to be a certain percentage of people that are, just like, no, I feel dumb. I'm not going to ask anything. I'll just fail my test. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas with a podcast, if I really think I need to, I can listen to the same episode eight times. And before I go, okay, I, I understand what he's saying. And that's fine. No one's theoretically going to judge me on that unless I'm like listening with a bunch of people that got it seven listens ago, I guess. Huh. Yeah, I, I used to record my lectures in grad school on a micro cassette recorder. <laughs> you remember those things? Uh, not really. I think I kind of have a vague, it was like a, like a cassette tape, but it's tiny, right? Yeah, they were so cute. I mean, I guess that's in the name. But. Yeah, that, 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 the device, I think I bought it in 96 or nine, yeah, 94, or it cost me like, $450 to get a good quality one. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. Right. I still actually had a bunch of those cassettes that I recorded on throughout the late nineties and into the early two thousands, but they're with my property, wherever that is. So yeah, some, yeah. I, I recorded a lot of amazing stuff on that, but I'd also record like songs and dialogue off movies so that I could hear it back because, you know, I don't know who knows why I was a kid. Uh, yeah. I 
I remember I had a tape recorder when I was a kid and I'd do like fake radio shows. And then like me and my friend had a quote unquote band that was really just like we did comedy, like audio comedy sketches Oh, awesome! with like the fictional pretense of us being a band. No one could play any instruments like it wasn't. <laughs> but uh, when I went to see her in Detroit a few years ago, I went to Detroit for convocation and she lives there now we found the old tapes in her basement and we were so excited about it. And then we realized neither of us had a cassette player. So it was just like, well, those are the tapes that have the dumb shit we did when we were 15 on them. Uh, and look at the tapes. Amazing. So um, I'm pretty sure uh, Instagram's removed my ability to live stream. God knows why. Oh, so there's not much going to be. None of this will be live streamed, like as I like to do a little clips of it live. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. unless they've just changed the way in which the buttons you have to press to make that happen, I'm sure you've noticed they remodeled things a little bit. Yeah, they like moved the notifications button like up top, and they put some sort of shopping button that I'm not sure what I, that does. I hate it down where the notifications button was. And the central button's now reels so that it can be more like uh, TikTok. So you got all these people dancing now and it's just driving me nuts. Mm. Yeah. I keep trying to quit it, but people beg me not to, like literally beg me not to. And I'm like, okay, well, you can't really just, you can't jump off a platform when there's people like <laughs> right, following you on it and such. Yeah, I... I like Instagram a lot better than Facebook, but oh, so evil. Like one of the reasons I actually don't, I friended you as, as you sort of suggested I should to see your comedy. Um, but the, mm -hmm. one of the reasons I'm not like, I have, a, I think there I have three, three, 400 requests of friends that I'm not letting through. And some of those people I'd like to let through, but I know when I cancel my Facebook, Facebook set up in a way to make it look like to all of your friends that you just blocked them. There's no right, and it doesn't say you've deleted your account. They can't find that out. They just and the, Facebook's doing that, obviously intentionally, because they want to encourage you not to do that. Um, and see, that, I always saw it the opposite way of like the idea is that if I do block you, you can't tell whether I deleted my Facebook or blocked you. So there's no concrete evidence. <laughs> of course then people just ask around and they'll be like is ray still on your facebook that's right our guest tonight is ray ray duvernay did i say that right uh duvernay but duvernay. very close ray that's duvernay. not the easiest name to read hey duvernay mon chéri oui très bien where's your name from um so my family is creole on my father's side um so that's that's basically canadian yeah, I guess it's sort of a weird, like, uh, Creole is a mix of a lot of things, which is weird because a lot of times, like I'll tell people I'm mixed with Creole because most people in the U S don't necessarily associate Creole with having light skin like I do, right. but it's almost like saying I'm mixed with mixed which is yeah. kind of a weird it's 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 sort of related to the metis in a way right mixes of yeah it. yeah the metis so do you know there's this uh because like, creole is closely connected with cajun culture often right yes yeah and cajun culture comes from originally from canada i don't know if you know that 
Okay, yeah, so it's like Canada and then down south U.S., yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's kind of like a migration pattern. We have this island in Canada in in how, uh, in uh, Nova Scotia called Cape Breton Island, which basically looks like a piece of Ireland floated off and, and came to Canada. And it looks like Connemara in Galway. And it's so green and verdant. And in the north part of, and they speak a, a, a dialect of Scottish Gaelic there called Cray Gaelic. It's still alive and well all these years. And in the north part of that island, they all speak French, but they don't speak any kind of French that Quebecois or French people would recognize. It, I couldn't understand a word they said when I was there on tour, and they speak Acadian. And a bunch of them got shipped off a long time ago down to, uh, is it Louisiana? Yeah, Louisiana is, so, I mean, there's a lot of areas in the South that are kind of associated, but Louisiana is like the one that people most associate with Cajun and Creole. It probably has the densest population. Um, not that I'm any expert, like my family hasn't lived down there for at least a few generations. So it's fascinating, really. I mean, they took all these people, these Acadians, the Acadians, shipped them down south to America. And they Acadian became a Cajun, Cajun, and that's, oh, okay. that's why they speak French, and that's why they speak a strange, a dialect of a dialect of French, and it's a uh, fascinating when I found that out. You know, I mean, I love how cultures blend and develop together. It really uh, throws a a big wrench, in my opinion, on the idea of cultural appropriation, because isn't culture just a development of human? existence over time in in every possible way i mean there's no there's no prima cultures there's no es essential cultures that existed in a platonic ideal form and we're like appropriating them there's just human well, spreading around i think thing. i think there are some things that i consider to be cultural appropriation and some things where i think people are stretching the definition so like i understand when people are like hey don't wear a Native American war bonnet just as a fashion statement at a music festival. It is a ritualistic item that has to be earned in this culture. And like, we find it insulting for you to just wear it as an accessory that you don't even know the meaning of. I get that. But then also I saw one person on Facebook was trying to say that no one should be wearing face paint except for black people because black people invented face paint. And I think at that point, that's kind of a stretch because if black people did invent face paint, like face paint is something that has been in numerous cultures for millennia. So if it was originally invented by black people, which I haven't researched this for the, for goodness, very far. So it, could or could not be. Um, but I think that if it was, it was kind of back far enough in time where it was like, yeah, the only people that existed were black people and we all descended from them. In which case, you can't really say that it's appropriation for people who don't still look like them to use face paint. That's like at that point, it's like, oh yeah, it's appropriation to use fire because we all we're kind of one race at the point that we discovered fire and now we've evolved to look differently. So only the people who look like the point we were at then 
are allowed to use fire. Like it, at a certain point, it gets ridiculous. But I do think there's a lot of valid examples where I would say like, yeah, you're, it would be disrespectful for me to do X, Y, Z. I understand that I'm taking that out of the context of something that is sacred to you. And uh, if I'm just fucking around with it, I don't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, I think we might've been putting uh, quote unquote makeup on our faces ever since we discovered mud, you know, I can imagine humans putting mud and crushed berries on their face a long time ago. You know, I mean, right. I'm pretty sure Egyptian and pre-Egyptian cultures used face makeup. Oh, Egyptians absolutely do face makeup. Right. Um, yeah. And we still have a lot of information about like what they ground up, like what beetles or what stones right. they ground up to make their makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Strange times we're in, hey? Yeah, but I mean... Theoretically, probably all times were st strange times, so. <laughs> yeah. Though I was thinking about this actually today, and, 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 you know, the thing is aliens, right? This is the first time okay. in a very long time where we've had our rulers, governments, say, yo, we have alien ships in our possession, and they're real that happened this year that just happened this year right and it wasn't even a big news story well it, they just dropped <laughs> COVID. like oh by the way we have alien spaceships what 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 oh yeah <laughs> yeah and everyone's like oh did, what huh and uh and after that we have a lot of time uh, do you think do you think it is the theory that it's revelation of the method the idea that they're preparing us for some grand reveal I don't know. Um, in general, I find it difficult for me to subscribe to any particular theory about what's going on. I kind of feel like the best theory I can come up with is that I have no idea. Um, and like, I kind of think anybody who doesn't believe in any conspiracy theories is an idiot and anybody who believes in every conspiracy theory is a crazy person like there's it's yeah. hard to deduce those sort of things because at the end of the day the whole thing that makes it a conspiracy and that makes it a theory is that we don't have all the information we would need to say that it is or isn't fact yeah I, I, I listened recently to a, a whole thing on the origin of the phrase conspiracy theory, and it was a term that the government came up with and propagated yep. to actually nip things in the butt, right? Yep, after JFK was shot, yeah. um, they it came was. out with a statement and they basically said, anybody that says anything might have happened other than what we told you happened is a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, it's a thought-terminating cliche. Yeah, it's some clever, clever stuff our, our governments do, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what, like, uh, our new lockdown rules require that you stay in your bubble. Great term, right? <laughs> bubble. Stay in your primary bubble, and you can connect with two other bubbles. But mm -hmm. everyone I've spoken to since our lockdown just went full force has said, 
we're not allowed to associate with anyone outside our bubble. I'm like, actually, you're allowed to associate with two other bubbles. You can have three bubbles. Right. They're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, and then I send them the thing and they're like, oh, that's crazy. That's not what I was told. That's amazing that, 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 you know, they can give us guidelines and that will actually make them even sterner and stricter than they are. Yeah. It's like we have this Ours... desire to make things extreme these days. Right. You know? Ours right now is you can't have any gatherings with more than 10 people or people from more than two households. That's basically, yeah, that's it. That's your two bubbles, two households, right? Yeah. So even if we only have three people at my house, if the two people I invited over aren't like don't live together, then I've broken the bubble. protocol. Yeah. Yeah, because it's more than two households. I love that video footage I saw of this Elvis impersonator uh, doing a live stream show in his apartment in England. And because the music <laughs> was so loud and he was karaokeing to his fans alone, the cops kicked down his door and like attacked him because the oh my gosh. was having a party. And they're like on him before he knows what's happening. He, They're like, we're trying to get him for 20 minutes. He's like, I didn't hear you. And they're like, what are you doing here? Where's all the other people? He's like, it's just me, this sad, sad man singing Elvis songs into a laptop. And you're like, Jesus oh. Christ, right? But I mean, hey. Oh my worse. gosh. I mean, yeah, it could be worse. Yeah, the, the, we've got, we're, we're full on draconian, of course. I mean. Have you found any comedy gold in what's happened this year? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I've written very little because there's no shows anyway. And uh, it can be weird to try and write comedy about current events if you're not going to be able to perform them while they're still current. It's like, like yeah. I wrote some Kobe Bryant jokes oh. that uh, I never got to perform. And now by the time there's another show, they'll be way out of touch. Like, um so i'm not writing a lot of stuff about like current events just because it's all gonna be old by then anyway yeah yeah so. yeah i, I mean some people are doing like digital comedy shows where they do uh like it's like a live stream but they can be kind of weird and i don't know i haven't done it yeah, apparently, I, I've not heard good reports from that stuff. Apparently, it's sort of sad. Well, but. I think what happens is, like, it's hard, first off, just logistically, to do a live stream and have who is streaming switch several times to, like, put different comics on. Um, and then also... I'm not sure a lot of people really want to log on and watch a live stream of like their local comedy scene. Like it'd be different if I was like a big name or something, then I'm sure there would be people that would be like, yeah, I want to watch Ray do comedy from her couch. But to be like, oh yeah, local Kalamazoo open micer. No one cares except for like maybe my few closest friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, you don't have the energy as well, right? Energy is crucial to performance. I mean, uh, the reason we need effects and like reverb and mixing so much on music recordings is really all to substitute for the fact that you don't have the energy of it being live in person, right? Right. Well, 
I mean, since I did radio before and I did, I used to do like little comedy videos to promote my radio show, which essentially were just like 30 seconds of stand up at a time. Um, so I'm probably better adapted to having the energy in my performance without having an audience than a lot of stand up comedians are. Um, unless they've done similar things, which, you know, everybody's got different backgrounds. So some of them probably have, if, you know, if not a large number of them, but, um, yeah, if you're used to just performing live, then it would definitely be kind of awkward to be like, and now I'm just going to sit in front of my phone and do the same show and hope it's just as good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very different. It's very different. Oh. Well, it's really great to to talk with you. I mean, every time I came across you on Instagram, I felt like there was sort of a kindred spirit vibe, but I wasn't sure because, you know, it's Instagram. Who knows? But I'm really glad <laughs> that we talked and uh, yeah, this is great. Um, what's your... Uh, What's what's your magical background, really? Because you're involved in a coven. You were just at a convocation, you said? Yeah, so convocation, I actually haven't gone to in the past few years, but uh, I had gone to it a few years ago. It's a conference in Detroit, Michigan, that they do, um, like a magical conference that they do at a hotel, usually in January. I don't know if they're doing it this year. I, I think they're not, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, as far as my magical background, um, I kind of was one of those kids that just at a very young age was like, I'm a witch. And now I'm going to figure out anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and around the time that I was like 12, um, I got involved in a sword fighting group with like a Renaissance Fair sword fighting group. And there was an older lady there that kind of taught me some stuff. Was that um no, it wasn't SCA. It was a much smaller group um, that wasn't part of any bigger organization. And we would just go around and do what we called mini Ren Fairs. So we traveled to like, in this area, every town has like a little festival. And it's usually named after whatever fruit they do the most agriculture for. So it'll be like the Apple Festival. And this town has a peach festival. And this town has a, you know corn festival or whatever so we'd travel around to those and we'd set up like our fortune telling booth and the ring where we sword fight and like maybe a little booth where you could buy like souvenirs or something and we were one of the entertainments that they had at these festivals but one of the older women in that group um had been practicing witchcraft since like the 60s so she kind of taught me some stuff. And then I kind of was book learned, you know, on top of that. Um, and when I was about 24, I joined a group in my area that was, they called themselves a pagan church. So it was a group of people and you didn't necessarily have to be Wiccan. You didn't necessarily have to be Druid. Anything under that pagan umbrella was like welcome. Um, and I worked with them for a while. And while I was there, I met a woman who was an Alexandrian high priestess. And she decided around that time that she wanted to run a coven again. So 
I initiated into her coven and went through dedicant first, second, and third degree under her. And then in traditional lineaged Wicca, like Alexandrian, um, once you get to third degree, you go off and start your own coven, um, which is what I did. And it's called Cultus Catabasis. And we are based out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, and then I'm also now recently getting involved in a group called the OEM, which is the Order of Emergent Magi. Um, so I'm doing that as well. And then I've done a little bit with the OTO. Um, I took Minerva. I was going to try and go further, but I just kind of decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I'm not going past Minerva with them, but uh, I at least, you know, kind of know what that's about. I've been to a few Gnostic masses and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, so. it's an interesting religion, Thelema. It is. Um, and I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm done with Thelema as far as like a philosophy goes. I just don't think I'm going to go any further in the actual OTO as an organization. So um, I do still have some books in my library that would be considered to be Thelemic. And I've brought those influences into some of my other rituals but it's not necessarily something that I feel like I need to be in the order. I understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very much not Thelemic myself, as some people still fail to realize. <laughs> um, I try to make that clear, but a lot of people still, you know, they see what I do and just assume it's Aleister Crowley-based. Um, well, I think uh, that would be a thing you'd fall into with the Golden Dawn, because I think people don't know as much about the Golden Dawn. Yeah. And there's sort of a weird overlap in things where the Golden Dawn kind of birthed the OTO. And then the OTO kind of birthed Wicca. So there's a lot of stuff that overlaps. Like uh, the first time I went to a Masonic meeting, I was real shocked when they started saying like, so mote it be. And I was like, what? How come I know what they're talking about? <laughs> right. Um, now, I'm but, not sure you're aware that the OTO was actually around uh, earlier, and Crowley uh, bought a branch of the OTO and then took it over. Right, yeah. I mean, but I think the OTO, I guess, as people know it today. Well, that's very much kinda. the, the rebirth. Because uh, it died out after Jack Parsons completely. It died out, and then... Grady McMurtry resuscitated it mm -hmm. from basically nothing. It's quite remarkable how they did that, actually. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is it is how people often know the Golden Dawn is from the uh, the OTO, which is interesting. I, I don't think about that much because that's not how I got to know it, and uh, I have to I have to remember that I find sometimes. Yeah. Right. Like so, uh, a student today asked me how often I do and use the star ruby ritual. And I was like, oh, God, I, I've never done it ever. And I never will. And I, I'm <laughs> actually, and that's not, it's, it's like, if it works for you, great. But I find it very strange that someone would create a, a fundamental ritual based on the LBRP 
but then do it Wittershins. Like, to me, that's suspicious, you know? Fair enough. I could see that. You know, it's like, is this a shit test? Part of me is one, wonders, like, was Crowley just taking the piss and seeing how many people he could fool into doing the opposite of what you should do? Right. But then also by some magical thought processes, banishing is done Wittershins. So and that's that would be kind of the marrying of that concept to the LBRP. I guess. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I can't argue with that. Um, yeah, no, that's that's some solid magical logic there. <laughs> um, gosh, yeah. I'm. I guess my my main thought on the the, the star ruby is like, did you do we really need another basic ritual? Like you know, we have we have the ones we have rather than reinvent the wheel all the time isn't it better to just learn how it works and move on and build an engine after that you know get we i i find a lot of people want to come up with their own version of the basics we got all these uh, an endless supply of intro books and basic books and how-to books mm -hmm. but but i people i find get so caught up in putting their own version of that out I wish they would do more investigation into the subtleties and nuances of advanced work. And I, I'm not sure why that is. Is it because people aren't doing advanced work that they're just, you know, coming up with their own version of the basics, but slightly different. And as they would often say better or improved, um, like, like I've seen new versions of the LBRP that's been put out where they're like, this is it, the LBRP with corrected Hebrew. And then I look at the Hebrew, I'm like, that's, that's not corrected. That shows you, <laughs> you know, like instead of a Tom. Now with shittier Hebrew. Well, it's not shittier. It's just like, it's like making it more formal and, and literal. So like Atam Alkut, Vigabura, Vigadula, very clear Hebrew, right? But they, they're like, you need to do Atam Alkut, uh, Ha Vigabura, Ha Vegadula, do you know you don't need the ha? Like you don't need the definite article there because we're 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 chanting, we're vibrating divine names. Whether you say the in the at in front of it is super irrelevant, right? Um it's like yeah, it it just doesn't make sense to me, and it also shows a poor understanding of the way the Hebrew language functions, but that that's occultism in a nutshell for you um you know also don't whereas if they wanted to like go into the nuances of the lbrp how about we talk about the fact that ata is a second person plural in the masculine case whereas at would be the feminine so that would be more interesting if you're going to make a change to the kabbalistic cross how about you consider the fact that you could recognize divinity as feminine and go at Malkut, Vigabura, Vigadula, right? Or you could focus on the, 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 the consonant change of B to V, which happened in the 20th century linguistically in Hebrew when it went from Gabura to Gavura. Like that was a linguistic change that just happened as Hebrew was resuscitated with the founding of Israel. Um, that stuff's more interesting and really shows that, that people 
aren't aren't paying attention so much to what's relevant and focusing more on the the details or the pedantics of what doesn't really matter i mean i think that right. a lot in occultism um well and personally i've always found um that it's more important to understand what you're saying than it is to say it in hebrew or say it in latin or what have you um like i do a lot of work with barbarous words where i've like made basically a verbal sigil and by literal translation it's nonsense that i'm chanting but i have taken the time to you know take out my duplicate letters and rearrange it into something that's chantable so i know what i'm chanting and the work still gets done yeah i like that what is your take on barbarous names of evocation Do you see it as a speaking in tongues or do you see it as accessing the primal through, uh, for lack of a better word, gibberish? What do you see it as? I mean, I always sort of fall into the idea that I don't care whether, like, when people talk about, for example, are the gods literal entities or are they psychological archetypes? Um, personally, I think that they are literal entities, but I also don't care because whether I'm literally talking to Saturn and he's literally doing what I asked him to do, or if I'm accessing my the part of my own psyche that embodies Saturnian qualities, if I'm still getting the results that I want, and it's still bettering my life, at the end of the day, it's successful. And the rest of it is just sort of, you know, my own quasi pretentious musings as to what I'm doing. Um, and at the end of the day, it's probably the truth is probably incomprehensible to me anyway, to some extent. And I guess I kind of feel the same way with that. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm channeling something in a language that none of us understand or if I'm just accessing part of my brain that allows me to get the results that I'm looking to get in my life, the work's still getting done. Yeah, the, uh, that's, that's, that's quite a, these days really between the, actual entities the 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 sort of spiritual the, the let's call it the supernatural model versus the psychological model and the you know you have magicians out there saying these are astral or psychological entities and then one saying they're physical entities quote unquote physical and if you're not encountering them physically then you haven't got them really present and i was listening to jake stratton kent finally i've heard about him for years and finally checked him out a bunch and i liked his point where he's like it doesn't really matter whether you're seeing it astrally or the degree to which things are actually manifest um they're still there and that confirmed something i experienced over the last year doing a bunch of experiments ritually 
with uh, psilocybin and DMT, where I would take different paradigms into those realms and see which ones sort of stood the test, you know, which ones held up. And the paradigm of, <coughs> excuse me, the paradigm of, I would take that when I took the paradigm of the, 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 the sort of the variance between here's a psychological framework, how is this real or is it just something I'm imagining versus something that really, really exists, that was something that was consistently laughed at by those entheogenic entities, shall we say. They just sort of bitch slapped those things out of my psyche and my, my spirit. Just the idea, this, this distinction we have between something I'm just imagining and something that's real, that to them was always laughable, consistently laughable, which made me feel all kinds of humble. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right. Because sometimes you, you take these frameworks into these spiritual realms, whether it's through sober astral work or, or enhanced, shall we say, entheogenically. And sometimes those models, those frameworks hold up and get you somewhere. And sometimes they fall to bits and you realize that you're just a speck of dust and don't understand shit. Right. And the, well, and that's the thing, like, um, I think it was you who was talking about like proper pronunciation of Enochian and said, you know, if, if we are actually talking to angels, the idea of like being concerned about whether or not we're pronouncing the Enochian properly is kind of ridiculous because we're probably basically babies going wah-wah and they're like, oh, you want water. Got it. Okay. Um, was that you? I thought it was you, but um, I think I think I'm the first one to say that proudly. So I don't think anyone else has has suggested the fact that the way we do Enochian probably all sounds like baby talk to them. But that was actually from my working with the Enochian angels at John D and Edward Kelly's tower in Prague last year. I was doing work in their tower where they invented this stuff. And to be clear against, and this is gonna piss people off, they were inventing <laughs> this stuff while doing large amounts of different drugs. They, they, oh yeah. They, they, there's, there's actually records from their D's diary where the angels were upset because they didn't have any drugs on them. Kelly's pouch, his little drug pouch was empty. And they're like, you didn't bring us anything? Isn't that interesting? There's a lot, it's very it's very popular to think uh, a lot of people believe that they never partook in any substances like that, but that's because we're a lot of people today aren't aware of the words and languages they used to describe them. Partly because we they didn't have the taboos that we have today, so they they just talked about them differently, and it wasn't a big right. But anyway, when I was working with the angels there, like they didn't really even need to hear the full calls that I was used to employing. They're like, look, we're here. And when I talked to them about the language, um, they were very clear that like, look, say it, we know what you mean. It, it, and that's when I was like, oh, I'm talking like a baby. I'm being like, angel, come me. I want you. Yay. And they're like, gotcha gotcha and that was a that was an eye-opener to me and it really emphasized and strengthened my understanding of how vibration works because the vibratory technique developed in the golden dawn 
distorts the pronunciation of the words so much that they're basically unrecognizable. And I've had people at conferences where I was teaching advanced ritual work get up and walk out halfway through the ritual because they said I wasn't pronouncing the Hebrew the right way. And then I found mm -hmm. out, well, they were taught a very specific way, like this is the correct way to pronounce the tetragrammaton. And of course, let's move beyond the fact that, that, that someone thinks there's a correct way to pronounce the unpronounceable name of God. That's to <laughs> me. Um, but, you know, we had a drink afterwards, me and the, this, this clergyman who walked out. Um, and uh, I, I explained to him where I was coming from. And he sort of regretted leaving the class after that because the reviews apparently called it masterful, which, you know, what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? I've been doing it a while, but um, I was sort well, of sad that, that, that there's people out there saying that there's one right way to do these things. And also sad because vibration is such a powerful technique. The idea that we would it, it, that it's so misunderstood and so lost to the extent that people think that that the the purpose of using divine names is to nail this magical pronunciation like you know wingardium leviosa is somehow <laughs> some effect that if you mispronounce the word doesn't work i mean that's fantasy novel stuff and it's great in fiction but in real life what we're doing is much more energetic and yogic. I mean, there's a reason Kabbalah right. is called the yoga of the West. Like you want to feel something, you want your rituals to be energetic. But like I always tell people, the way you see a ritual described or taught in a tutorial is very different from how you'll see someone doing it when they're actually doing it. Like when, you know, you can vibrate the middle pillar ritual and you do it these this amount of times and you say the names and visualize the colors and the spheres and breathe and in and out. But like when I'm doing it for real to raise energy, it builds up in a dramatic way to the point where I'm like, there's beads of sweat. I'm dripping with sweat by the end and it's accelerated. And there, there might be all kinds of little erratic nuances and changes that I make as I'm going through it because I'm trying to create a psychic physiological response in my body and the energy around me to raise, raise that current, right? It doesn't matter what, sometimes I'll jump up and down. I'll dance wild in a circle with a broomstick in my hand if I have to, to get that energy going. Right. And ultimately it is a psychic and an energetic thing. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to invoke Greek gods because I can't speak Greek. It's not the same thing as having someone in a room with a language barrier and trying to talk to them. Um, because what they're tapping into isn't necessarily the same thing as listening to me speak with physical ears. Right. And the idea of pronouncing a word correctly is so absurd. I mean, language change is such a constant reality that we wouldn't understand Shakespearean English if we heard it spoken for real. We wouldn't. Right. We certainly don't understand the Canterbury Tales when we first read them. Like, not much. We don't get it. Beowulf, forget it, right? So, <laughs> so if language in just our last thousand years, 1500 years changes that much in a single language, what are, what are you talking about when you're speaking of a divine name of a deity or God or angels, right? Like how much does that language change? And then I think about all the experiences recently on 
with uh, large amounts of psilocybin or DMT and the voices I hear, there's a language I hear. And I, it's one of the easiest things I've found to forget that I forget. It slips away. So but when I hear it again, I'm like, oh, I know that. And recently I did such controlled experiments that I was like, holy shit, this fucking sounds like how someone might hear Enochian. And I was like, I think that that's what Dee and Kelly were hearing. I don't think they were like, just transcribing a hypothetical language that they were analytically instructed to learn. I think they were hearing physical voices with their ears on these psychedelics doing rituals. And that's what they were trying to communicate. That's what I think. That's my new thought. I could say that. And I think hypothetically and definitely hypothetically, because I use my real name in everything, and if I did hypothetically do DMT, I think I also get a lot of auditory hallucinations, even more so than the visual. Oh. Um, and a lot of times I get poetry and then I'll like, be like, I got to write that down. <laughs> like as soon as I'm back, yeah. it's like, that's better than what I would have written. <laughs> yeah, no, obviously this is a fictional podcast where we only talk about fictional things and no one who's ever been on this podcast or will ever be on this podcast has ever done any illegal drugs or anything illegal at all we're saints right absolutely yeah that's that's very clear i mean honestly though what's hilarious is no one really cares if you talk about entheogens but i just had a friend jeff on who's a republican now that Mm -hmm. could be in trouble yeah yeah you can talk about drugs till the cows come home and the pharmaceuticals are like damn we're missing out on some of that revenue but as soon as you (laughs) you talk to someone on the other side of on on the extreme of any spectrum you're in trouble i lost i think i lost like 45 percent of my listeners my subscribers from that oh wow oh yeah i don't think i've listened to that one yet Oh, it's, it's fun times. It was a happy hour one too. So that's good. I was, uh, I would, I would, I drank most of a bottle of Glenn Livett and he was microdosing DMT on a vape the whole time. So that was fun, fun, fun stuff. Plus I've known him for 24 years and he's one of my favorite human beings. And I, and also I don't want to do a podcast where I've got listeners who are, who are, you know, if magicians can't talk to people we disagree with, then then we're all fucked. Like seriously, right. if there's any human beings that need to be able to talk across the aisle, as you might say, down south in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be us. Like her, hermetic doesn't just mean uh, sealed. The other interpretation of hermetic, as I was taught in when I was translating Nietzsche for Doctor Paul Good in Dusseldorf in '97, was in his interpretation of the word hermetic was to leap. He said hermetic means to leap across boundaries and leap mm-hmm. across interpretations and realms and domains. And I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. I mean, obviously it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, her, Hermes is the root of the word hermetic and which right. contain, contained or sealed, but it's also the word root of the word hermeneutic, which means basically to interpret or understand. So it's got this dual meaning, which, which really is appropriate for a God who bounces between the mortal, divine, and underworld. Right. I never got into and- PGM much because my Greek was so bad, I was embarrassed to try it. <laughs> Fair enough. 
No, I'm serious. My Greek is non-existent, if that makes any difference to you. But if that makes you feel any better. A little bit, yeah. Look at that. Comfortable. Look at what? Um, <laughs> you've got me thinking hard on many levels, which is always my favorite thing. Well, good. Yeah. But yeah, I think ultimately everyone, not just magicians, um, would certainly benefit from being to hit, being able to have conversations with people that they disagree with at this point. Overall, and I, I've never been outside of the States, so I guess I can't really speak to like our global culture, but definitely in the United States, I think we've just become overly polarized. Um, and it's kind of scary. Um, and also, like, it's created this weird illusion with our two-party system where people think that you have, like, one completely formed set of views and a second completely formed set of views. And you can pick between A, being a Republican, or B, being a Democrat. And it's like they think you're not allowed to mix and match, which is insanity to me. It's, yeah, I mean, dualism creates this very tempting uh, appeal to think one is right and one is wrong. Right, like, and it's, it's weird how, like, subjects that don't even relate to each other get lumped in in these weird ways. So, like, I had posted something, it was after Trump got diagnosed with covid and I had posted something on like my Facebook and my Instagram that was like, you know, like, I don't like Donald Trump, but I see a lot of people like posting about how they wish he would die. And like, that's not a stain I want on my soul. So like, I'm not going to do that. And I would encourage you to like, think about whether or not you really want to do that. <clears throat> and my ex-girlfriend from high school got on there and was like, well, lucky for me, I've already learned long ago that religious fundamentalists like you will never accept who I am as a person. And I'm like, how did I get to the point where my ex-girlfriend is calling me a homophobe? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> All I said is I won't wish for someone to die just because I don't agree with them politically. <laughs> like, there's a leap that has happened here. <laughs> and it's a big fucking leap. Like, I used to fuck you. Suddenly, I hate you for being gay. How? How did we get there? That is hilarious. <laughs> well, you were saying that, too. You made someone else laugh here. So that's, that's, that's credit. <laughs> yeah. Your, your first stand-up comic, comedy special, uh, 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 what's it called? What do you call it? A type five? Oh, yeah. Type five is what you do for, like, for an open mic. You so, generally get five minutes. Sometimes they'll give out of towners seven minutes. So you were listening. We were listening to your tight, your tight six minutes and thirty three seconds, and and you had, <laughs> you had you had laughter going in the first minute, which was hilarious to me because I recently uh, showed Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones, and I and there was not a single laugh for twenty minutes, and I was like, Jesus Christ, tough audience, but you had it going right away, and I was like, Wow, that is some. And you were talking about menstruation and stuff like that. So I guess it, I didn't laugh quite as quickly because I was like, wait, what? What's happening now? <laughs> I, it's been a while since I menstruated. So what can I say? But um, Fair enough. 
Yeah, the Trump thing's crazy. Like, I, I, I like the, uh, I like that dude, Brett Weinstein, who, uh, who was saying that because he's he's super liberal, but he, uh, he, he said on his Dark Horse podcast that the idea that a country would actively root against its leaders seemed like insanity to him. And I was like, yeah, it is insanity. Like, I don't like any of the leaders Canada's ever had, but to hope that they do a bad job of leading our country, that's crazy. Like, you don't want them to fail when they're running your fucking country. Right, yeah. I want you to do a surprisingly good job that I did not think you were capable of doing, preferably. Like, you know, if, 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 if I'm like, if I, if my girlfriend takes me for a drive, hypothetical girlfriend takes me for a drive, you know, to, to dump me at a, at a romantic spot where she thinks I won't make a scene and then drive me home again, I'm not going to hope that she crashes on the way home. Right. <laughs> that would be insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could at least wait till I get dropped off first. Wait till they're out of office then throw the book at them like what they say that uh donald trump could go to jail because he's got all these 23 or 24 sex assault accusations oh i heard a great comedian say you might like this i don't know if you heard this but someone said some comedian i heard say trump has like 20 something 24 accusations against him biden has 16 and therefore biden has basically saved eight women from sexual assault yeah, I mean, it's it's sad that that's how low the bar is. Like, honestly, this is the first time the best in my life. You 70-year-old white dudes. Oh, my God. Well, and, like, this is the first time in my life that I've been old enough to vote and I just didn't. And I know a lot of people, like, are upset by that concept, but, like, there wasn't a person that I felt morally good rooting for and that sucks i i want there to be better options yeah but yeah. we're locked into this messed up oh we have a two-party system and if it, even if there are other candidates voting for them is just a waste of your vote ha ha well, and it, it's ridiculous the last time i voted in canada it was for a party called the dance party party mm-hmm. What can I say? They actually made a difference in my life while they were running for their campaign. When they, <laughs> when our bus service went on strike, I was in grad school and we couldn't get to mm-hmm. class. Like our, our university's out in a forest on the beach, of course, because mm-hmm. we're in Columbia and everything's got to be in on a beach or in the mountains or in a forest. And we couldn't get to class. Like students were walking three hours to get to class or sharing cabs. And this van went went around with music and a disco light inside the van. They would pull the bus stops, be like, yo guys, get inside. And everyone's like, okay, let's get into this stranger's van. And they're like, hey, this is the dance party party. Which building are you going to on campus? And we're like, fucking A, I'm gonna vote for you. <laughs> and a lot of us did because they actually made a difference in our lives when the government couldn't give a shit. So that's what I, you know, vote for the people that make a difference. But yeah, I don't know, maybe it is throwing away your vote. See, we have a three-party system and the upside of a three-party system over a two-party system is in a two-party system, you think, okay, one of these sides is right, one of them is wrong. In a three-party system, you're just like, oh, so you're all full of shit. <laughs> because we know from, it doesn't matter who we elect, they, they, they all, they all fuck us. 
they all fuck us. When we elect the radical left, the NDP, the New Democratic Party, they raise our taxes and they don't know what how to use them well. So it's like, oh, you just took all this money from us and and blew it, right? Like right. they're to expand this 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 freeway going over the Lionsgate Bridge. So because it was just um three lanes and the cars were ultra close together, like terrifyingly close together to go over it. We're right. like, okay, they're gonna put four lanes in. No, they just made the lane slightly wider. They shut down traffic over the like this is a this was a major catastrophe in Vancouver and for over a year of construction and stuff. And all they did was make three lanes wider rather than add a fourth lane. What the fuck, right? Right. Seriously. Eh, incompetence of government. We could go on about that all day, but who needs to? Who needs to? Aliens <laughs> will come and eat us all soon, right? Well, let's hope. What's your thoughts on the aliens? Because I just watched this new thing with these scientists on aliens and the new admissions from the Pentagon and the government. Like your government, your government's going crazy, being like, "Yeah, that's right. There's aliens. We got their ships. It's all happening." And it's like, "Whoa!" Like this is not something I ever expected in my lifetime. Right. Well, I think most of us probably had some sort of idea of the concept of aliens anyway. Um, honestly, I think just law of probability, it's almost solipsistic to think that, oh, no, we're the only planet with life. We're just a whole planet of narcissists who are obviously the only ones here. Um, Do you think there was something to be gained by making us believe that? by hiding this these sort of this sort of information from us for so long? I mean, perhaps it it's hard to say what it would be without knowing anything about what is out there. Um, I think that a population is easier to control if you don't think that there's as much outside, you know, just like um, in abusive relationships, very often the partner isolates you from your friends and family. And it's sort of a weird false flag where they'll do a lot of like, oh yeah, we could go out, but we could just stay at home together. And like, at first it seems romantic until you realize that you've been cut off from having any other support system. Um, so I could see uh, that sort of thing definitely being a benefit to um, world governments or, you know, whatever secret organization really controls all our governments um, in that sort of way. Because, um, yeah, if, if there's other people out there that I could be talking to and they're, you know, going to have all this sort of information for me that maybe goes against what you want me to think, then I'm going to be real dependent on you, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can't say that that is what it is, but that's one possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience too many times. My, my favorite or, one is the pattern of, of girlfriends waiting till you're in love with them, then moving in with you, then quitting their job. Mm. I, I've never known how to get out of that. I never got out of it successfully in a healthy way. It was always a catastrophe. Um, it's why I usually stay single so long after those experiences. They're just charming experiences. Any advice? How do you get out of that? What, what do you do? Because you can't just like, you seem like an asshole if you then dump them because they moved in with you and lost or quit their job or somehow lost it, right? 
and it's like oh well and you're like well can you get a job They're like no it's like what do you do you're all yeah i mean i i think you just need to have a conversation about boundaries and pulling your own weight at that point and you know if they legitimately aren't making an effort to get a job after that then yeah like you can break up with them if you didn't agree to be the sole provider in that situation and yeah they probably are going to turn around and tell everybody that you're an asshole but they were going to do that anyway um you know anytime that you set a boundary with a romantic partner or even a platonic friend where like hey you're asking me to do more for you than I can do without harboring resentment and it's not healthy for our relationship. There, you know, people who were trying to take advantage of you are always going to turn around and try to act like you are the asshole when you don't let them do that. So at some point you just have to accept that and it sucks, but like that's what it is, you know. And the same thing happens um or kind of the opposite thing, I guess happens where you get into a relationship i've had this happen once or twice where you get into a relationship and then they go oh well you know you shouldn't have to work you should you should quit your job i want to provide for you and it seems real great when they pose the idea until you realize that now i'm dependent on you and when you start treating me like shit now i have to figure out a job and another place to live perhaps and so on and so forth to try and get out of this situation. Um, So I don't know, people use all sorts of weird fucked up tactics to manipulate people. And I don't know that there's really any one way to avoid it. Um, A lot of it just comes down to the fact that manipulative people are going to manipulate any system you put in place. Just like I understand the concept behind when people say, anytime someone makes an accusation of sexual assault, you have to believe them. And I understand where that comes from because I understand how shitty and horrible it is to be sexually assaulted and then have people not believe you on top of it. But also, I have seen situations where the abuser in the situation decides, well, the easiest way then for me to destroy your fucking life is to say that you sexually assaulted me. And then by doing that, anyone who does not immediately cut you off from their life completely will be ostracized from the community. And now all I had to do is say one thing and I've destroyed your fucking life. Yay me. That was my goal. Didn't even have to get my hands dirty. So I think in general, um, there's just no easy answers on that sort of shit. It is always going to be kind of a case by case basis. And any rule that we come up with to try and avoid or rectify those situations is at best a guideline that works most of the time. Because there's always going to be shitty people. There's always going to be predatory people. If we could have just eliminated them with a simple rule, we would have done that 500 years ago because it would have been that easy. Yeah, indeed. It's a scary one too, hey? It's a scary one. It, it is. And it's, 
it's a strange thing in that I feel like socially and culturally, we are making a lot of progress with things like this. But also, we have almost this weird pretentiousness about it, where we think that like, oh, yeah, we're the generation that figured all this shit out. Look at us. We are right about everything. It was always this easy all along. And it fucking wasn't because if it was our grandparents and our great grandparents and our great great grandparents would have figured it out too. It's not like we suddenly like came out of the womb and we we're like, oh, we're millennials and our brains are five times the size of everyone that existed before us. Like that we're all just doing the best that we can. And it's great that we're trying to do our best. And every generation should be trying to do their best and trying to find the best ways to handle these sort of things. But I think people fall into the trap of thinking that like, oh, I found a, somebody shared a meme on Facebook that explained all of this. It's three sentences. Um, it's easy. It rhymes. And uh, that's the answer to all life's problems. And it's just fucking not. If, it, if we could fit the universal answers to all life's problems on bumper stickers, we wouldn't still be trying to figure them out. Well said. Very well said, yeah. It's, uh, it's intense stuff. Yeah. Gosh, I wish I, I wish I had the answers. I just, the, the, the more life goes on, the, the less I feel I have any answers, you know? Are you really a millennial? Well, and I think that's, huh? Are you really a millennial? Yeah, I was born in 1987. I'm 33. Jeez, yeah. Okay. I thought you were closer to my age, but that's all. It's all good. I like millennials. Fuck, I brought a millennial on my podcast. God damn. Oh, I love them. <laughs> um, I was always one of those people whose friends were like older than, than him, you know? Uh, I was always, I think I was inviting my high school teachers to my birthdays part, birthday parties into my early 20s. I was that kind of kind of cool kid, you know? Yeah, I had a lot of friends that were way older than me when I was a kid because I did the sword fighting stuff. So I was like a 12-year-old girl and all my best friends were like guys in their 40s. <laughs> and then they'd like take me somewhere and another guy in their 40s would like see them and know them and start talking to them. And the conversation would like inevitably end with him like walking back to me and being like, she's 12, fuck you. <laughs> what kind of sword fighting did you do? Um, so I did like the staff fighting, um, broadsword, a little bit of fencing, but not in any way that would be recognizable to like a proper fencer. Um, I did battle axes, um, a little bit with knives, although those were mostly like a dramatic prop. You don't do a lot of like actual knife fighting, um, in, you know, a performative ring because it's hard to do without actually hurting someone. And, you know, still having the audience be able to see what you're doing. Um, yeah, pretty much anything that uh, you would want to watch someone fight with at a Ren Fair. I probably fucked around with a little bit. I love Ren Fairs. I'm, I was always sad that there's like really no Ren Fairs in Canada, like growing up, especially like just there's just not enough people in Canada to make them happen, you know? Uh, I can see like, that. No I used to love them a lot more. Um, 
but now like I haven't been to a Ren fair. I don't think since I stopped performing in them um, just cause it's kind of like a weird thing. Cause I performed from the time I was 12 to the time I was 24 with like the sword fighting and stuff. Awesome. And uh, it's kind of a weird thing to do something that long and then like retire from it and try to go as just like spectator status. Like if anything, watching people sword fight makes me want to sword fight. And yep. it's not like I can just like jump up and be like, Hey, can I have a go guys? Like it doesn't work that way. I didn't train with these specific people. They're not going to let me perform with them. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way at all. Um, and also like I had kind of a unpleasant falling out with the Ren Fair group. And that's why I quit is because uh, I was no longer happy with the way I was being treated by my fellow Ren Fairers. And uh, so there was kind of like some weird emotional baggage there for a while too, which now I could probably go to a Ren Fair, but I think I still have that weird like, all right, I'm watching people do the thing and now I want to do the thing. That's how I feel about watching sports. Like I've never understood watching like baseball or, or football or basketball because I've always been like, as I'm sitting there trying to get into it, I'm like, wouldn't it be more fun if we just grabbed the ball and went outside? Like, wouldn't that be more fun? And people are like, they're professionals. It's like, yeah, but we're not, it just, it just never computed. I played, I was a quarterback right. growing up and uh, great at basketball too, until everyone got their growth spurts and I couldn't compete anymore because of, <laughs> right? Like I stayed, I stayed, I think I was five, six till I was 17. So yeah, but uh, before that, I just loved playing it. It was so much fun and I'll still play sports. So just watching it just seems like, I just don't understand the appeal of watching other people have fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see that. Who would want to watch other people have sex? That doesn't make any sense. No one would ever want to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even then, though, it's much easier with that to put yourself in a situation where you're watching it and then you can kind of participate. Like, if I invite a guy over to watch porn, I can probably be like, hey, do you want to try some of this stuff? And he'll be down, like, as opposed to sword fighting, where he'll be like, I don't know, I'm going to get hurt. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, every time, yeah, every time I'm at my my film friend's place, they have all my fencing gear. I, I, I can never get any of them to fence. I think it's because they don't believe I actually fence, even though I taught for years. They're just terrified at the idea of probably, like, getting hurt or something like that but it's you know it's pretty safe i mean you're wearing these massive helmets and stuff like that but right see and we didn't wear the helmets or the pads or anything like that we wore goofy costumes <laughs> um but also like my fencing foil was tipped you know yeah, so it, you guys, it's like fine yeah no i'm aware of how you guys modified the tips i did a few instruction instructional lessons for the sca with this on the saber because that was my main tool but yeah, mm -hmm. I, I taught at University College of Galway in Ireland as well as UBC in, my, in Canada. And I love fencing. Fencing's good. Rapier's good too. But yeah, so it's, it's just fun, you know? Yeah. See, I didn't do a lot with the rapier. Um, my fencing foil was probably yeah. my safest weapon. Um, and everything else was, you know, like actual steel swords, which 
get almost more dangerous as you use them because they almost become like a saw blade. Um, yeah, um, and you know, depending on the grip you're using, like I, I always fenced rapier or foil with a with a pistol grip, and and that's uh, if you make a mistake, it's it's got you're sort of locked into the handle. Like uh, mm -hmm. if, if you lunged and the, and the sword broke, um, your hand wouldn't automatically let go of the, the blade. And that can, there was actually an incident. This is gonna, you're gonna find this hilarious as all hell. Um, there was an incident in England where uh, two men were fighting with uh, uh, foils and pistol gripped foils. And one of the guy's uh, swords broke and therefore the blade went through the other guy's helmet and killed him. <gasps> yeah. Oh my goodness. And it was, they believed it was because of the pistol grip that he was using. And his pistol grip's a lot harder to learn, but it's really mm -hmm. powerful once you get good at it. Um, and do you, do you know what their conclusion was from that incident? What? From now on, women can't use pistol grips. <laughs> Just women. Their, their logic must have been something like this. As a comedian, I'm sure you'll love this. If if a man can kill another man using a pistol grip, last thing we want to do is find out what a woman might do. <laughs> oh, it's it's the, one of the most absurd things I've ever heard, but <laughs> that's how it is. That's how the cookie crumbles. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know enough about it um, in like a formal sense to know if this is called a pistol grip but my foil did have like a loop up by the guard that you could have put your finger through kind of like a pistol i did not actually put my finger through it um which yeah, no, i think like from gun. what i'm hearing i was a good idea to not do <laughs> yeah no a pistol grip is a very weird thing it looks like the handle got like just destroyed in a in an accident like it looks like the handle was in a deadly car crash and it's all misshapen and it'll, it'll never walk again but if you learn how to work it then it it forces your hand to stay in, in a proper position and once you master it it does give you a little bit more control and a bit more relaxation on your muscles uh but yeah it's all fun it's all fun sword fighting is a lot of fun it is when i was 20 i retired my right hand and only trained and fenced on my left hand and that was fun because all of a sudden I started losing again, which was really refreshing. And yeah, no, I fence whenever I get a chance to. It's it's a it's a great thing. I don't know why we can't do it right now because it's so socially distanced, right? Like, <laughs> right. You're behind a mask. It's okay. You're wearing a mask, and if the person gets within a certain distance of you, then they're going to get stabbed with a long piece of steel. Right. Then they lose. <laughs> yeah. It's like if they violate social distancing, they get stabbed. Doesn't that sound like a good comeuppance <laughs> for breaking the rules? That's cool. it's like built-in social distancing. You were close to me, so I stabbed you with a sword. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I'm actually kind of surprised that you can't do it because like there's a lot of sports that people still play. Um, like we still have the NFL going on. They have weird cardboard cutouts in the stands instead of an actual audience. And you can pay like $200 or something to have it be a cardboard cutout of you. No. But Are you serious? Oh, absolutely. If you, I don't know, there's probably some website where you can get on an NFL game. Um, but yeah, they have cardboard cutouts in the stands and then 
you pay money and like send in a picture and then one of the cardboard cutouts in the stands will be you. And I think the money goes to some sort of charity. I kind of hope that people get their cardboard cutouts back at the end of the season. Cause I think that would be cool <laughs> to just be like, yep, got a cardboard cut out of myself. I'm going to put it behind the door. So my roommate pees their pants when they're trying to get to the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> But to get a cardboard cutout of you naked and pay someone to run it into the field and streak. (laughs) I'm sure sure it could be arranged for enough money. Oh, probably. I mean, they're they're pretty desperate, right? I mean, the the athletes need to make uh, make a living too. I mean, they you know, yeah, this yeah. Speaking of um, scaring people with cardboard cutouts so they pee their pants, can I, can we take a break so that I can go to the bathroom? Yeah, let's do it. I'll hit pause right now. All right. right, I am back. We're back. We're rolling. Yeah. Magic, hey? Does, 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 do these days seem as good a time for magic? to you as it does to me because i don't know what else we have left at this point like right well i always say that magic should be what you do when you can't do anything else um and part of that is like you know just a matter of let's not ignore mundane action you know you can't do a spell to get a job and then not apply for any jobs um but also I think it is, you know, it is meant to be employed when mundane action is not sufficient. Um, So I would say people probably feel very much as a whole that they can't do anything with a lot of the situations in their lives right now. So it's absolutely a great time to do magic, but also, I know that uh, it is a bit, little bit limiting too, because a lot of people, depending on what system you work and how comfortable you are working by yourself versus with a group, um, like not every group is comfortable meeting right now. Mm. Um, and there's some ways that you can get around that. Like uh, my group for a little while, we were doing like, video conferencing rituals and it was kind of cool in the sense that it made me get creative with okay what ritual can I do that's not going to seem super lame over video conferencing and that led me to write a lot more guided meditations for my group Um, but we also haven't been doing video conference rituals for this whole thing um I think at a certain point, like even getting creative and saying, okay, we'll do a guided meditation because that's the only thing that's not going to suck. You know, there's a limit to that where I'd be like, okay, so all we're doing is guided meditations now. So, you know, it, it's nice to be given a situation to have to get creative, but also that can only go on for so long before it's like, okay, but like, I actually want to get in a room and chant. And uh, it's weird doing that on the Google chat or whatever, because 
everyone's bandwidth is different and we're not really chanting together are we <laughs> but yeah no that's a tricky one i remember when i was like uh 15 and uh doing my own little coven with some friends in high school uh mm -hmm. i went i moved to vienna and i i was like i still want to do the sabbats with you guys so i wrote some ones for astara and the other sabbats i was away for and one of the practices that we enjoyed the most was ones where there was initial guided meditation but then there was like a, a a locus or a focal point and a place we were meant to go to and we would all astral travel to that place and then have our own experiences but also feel it was connected because of the preamble and the premise of where we were right. going, what we were doing but you also then had sort of uh, a unique magical experience or or travel on your own and i think mm -hmm. i think that was that was that was powerful for us to right i don't know it's a, it's a tricky one right because you want to feel connected but you also don't want to feel like you're just telling a group story yeah no that's fair i don't know yeah it's a weird it's a weird uh set of circumstances to try and work with and like i said you know we haven't done that for all of our magical practice this whole time like it's almost been a year now um we've been like we had a brief period of time where somebody's co-worker might have had it and so you know we were doing the remote stuff for a while there um but we're also a very small group so like most of the time when it's feasible we're just getting together for ritual and it's okay <laughs> well, that's, um, but that's, i know some of the bigger groups definitely feel much more kneecapped by this whole thing i know i saw one friend posted something on facebook about how like her coven hadn't been getting together at all but they decided for Samhain that as long as during the ritual they were outside and six feet away from each other and everyone was wearing masks that that would be okay yeah um so no it's interesting I, i'm curious to hear more about your experiences of doing ritual work during these strange times of isolation i think that's something a lot of people are well a lot of people are struggling with the isolation right um i'm struggling with it for sure i i i've been back a while now in canada and people i thought i would see i just can't see and uh it's hard um right I've noticed I've started having uh, nightmares about so the school that I went to as a kid, they had this program called the aware program and it was like advanced writing and reading environment or maybe advanced writing and reasoning environment It was basically like the gifted program or whatever. And it starts in the fifth grade. And they completely separate you from everyone else in your school. So it's not like you just like have some gifted classes or whatever. They put you in a different building than everyone else you've been in school with your whole life. Wow. And for me, for whatever reason, most of the other kids in that program, like did not like me and kind of like bullied me horrendously, like real, real bad. Um, and I always like resented the fact that like, you know, because you're gifted, because you're so smart, we're going to put you in a situation where you have no, the only time you're allowed to see kids that you get along with is at lunch. 
and that's it. And the rest of the time you're going to be with other kids that are assholes to you. <laughs> and it felt very isolating. And for some reason, I've been having nightmares lately about being forced back into the AWARE program. And I'm like, no, I'm 33. I'm not even in middle school anymore. And this doesn't make sense. Like, and then I realized that like, oh, this is just a dream about being forced into isolation. And the fact that I can only see my closest friends and absolutely no one else. Like I can't, like I miss parties and I miss parties because I hate people. Like, so I like the idea of having bite-sized interactions with people where I can go to a party and I can talk to someone for a little while. And if I find out that I am not enjoying their company, we both just find other people to talk to and it's not the end of the world. Whereas now, if I want to hang out with anyone other than my three closest friends, it's like a whole fucking thing. Cause I have to like, first off, I have to figure out if I can even like invite you to come over and watch a movie with us Friday without you getting like offended. <laughs> then if you do, we are locked in to hang out with you. So if I'm like, Hey, there's this girl from the neighborhood. She seems kind of interesting. Maybe I'll invite her to our movie night. And then we're like not hitting it off. Oh, fucking well, because this is where we're hanging out tonight. And like, so that, you know, that's what it's going to be. And there's no getting out of it. Um, so it, it makes it a lot of real high pressure and it makes it hard to mm. like leave your little bubble in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Plus yeah. like there's been people who I did get along with when this whole thing started and then like they pulled some shit and normally like naturally if the party scene was going on, those spaces in my life would get slowly filled by new people, but they just fucking don't because <laughs> you can't meet any new people. Yeah. So you just end up being like, I used to have five friends. Now I have three. <laughs> yeah. I'm apartment hunting right now. So that's fun during a lockdown and Jesus, you know? Yeah. That's going to be weird. I, it uh, It's not working out so well. I mean, Plus, everyone during everyone in the greater Vancouver regional district has just taken to not renting out their units and just uh, Airbnb-ing them. Oh, and, yeah. And that's caused mass homelessness. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Uh, they've got, everyone's gone a bit nuts. And then there's the, yeah. pump, which is exorbitant. Uh, it's, it's a tricky time. Like uh, last podcast, we were talking about this being uh, some sort of, uh, it's a killer. It's killing a lot of people. I've had two friends commit suicide since, uh, since COVID. Young friends in their right. 20s. And it's, it's heartbreaking because I don't know what the reasons are, but I'm sure, I'm sure that, uh, they wouldn't be dead if it wasn't for how we're handling this. You know? Right. And it's definitely been a thing. I know I was talking to a girl right when this very first started, when it was 14 days to slow the spread, you know, um, 
And I was talking to her on Facebook and she was talking about how like she feels so alone and she feels so depressed and she's thinking about killing herself. And I had to be like, listen, girl, like there has got to be like, I understand people are afraid to interact with other people right now, but there's got to be someone that you feel comfortable enough with to say like, Hey, do you want to come over? Or maybe like I can come over or like, if it's that bad for your mental health that you haven't seen a person in a week, you need to see a person like, right. There's more than one kind of health. It's not just about not getting sick. Yeah. And like, ultimately, if you kill yourself, no one's going to be like, well, thank God she didn't die of COVID though. Like that's not, that's not how that's going to play out for your loved ones. Absolutely. Um, yeah. When's the cure worse than the problem, right? Right. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it was overwhelming six months ago and now I don't even know what to call it. It's just, uh, I feel like they, they, uh, they want us to die. I know that's dark, but what can I say? I have a Scorpio ascendant. (laughs) Dark motherfucker. I mean, it, it definitely is a very um, surreal situation on a lot of accounts. There, there's a lot of weird, fucked up things that are going on right now that just don't even feel like they could possibly be real. I've wondered more than once if I'm dead and I'm in hell and that hell is thinking I'm still alive, but shit's all weird and fucked up. Has that occurred to you? Um, no. I mean, I don't necessarily. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that strongly has. believe in the concept of hell. Um, oh yeah, no, I don't mean hell, hell. I just mean like you're in some the next dimension of your simulation of the soul cycle that you're in, or whatever. And uh, right. how is re? Am am I like? Imagine you your your essence or your being changed universes or skipped dimensions or timelines or realities, how would you know? All of a sudden the world just changes. Everything seems crazy. The government is admitting that there's aliens and we have their ships and and everyone's in a Orwellian dystopia and things are only getting worse. What are you missing? Yeah, I mean, well, I think one thing that gives me some sort of anchoring in the idea that that hasn't happened, or at the very least that it hasn't happened just to me, is I'm not the only one going, man, this is fucking weird. I'd be way more freaked out if everyone else was like, this is completely normal. What are you talking about? It's always been this way. Um, that, I think, would be 10 times scarier for me. Yeah. Um, but there are theories that we did like skip timelines and I don't know the details of it. I'm sure I'm not remembering everything about it, but there's something about like the Higgs Boston collider or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We talked that that. when they did that lines up to when shit started getting really weird, or at least people say that it does. Um, Yeah. 26. And that therefore. Yeah. I felt it. I felt it. And then I asked a famous musician buddy of mine and he said everything you just said. And I was like, wait, what, 
you're telling me that my strange, weird intuition is something other people have experienced and there's some argument for its basis in reality. He's like, oh yeah, we're all talking about it. I'm like, do tell, I want to hear about this because something funky has, has gone on in the state of Denmark and I, I'm not, I don't have my ear to the ground. And since then I've, I've paid a little bit more attention and it, I don't know what to make of it, but some people said the timelines were going to line up again uh, mm -hmm. this year. And then I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, once the election and I'm like, oh, Jesus, no, 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 no. I don't think timelines care about elections. That just seems a little too far-fetched for me. But the idea overall, I mean, the idea that there's infinite versions of this reality and that they intermix or that past lives is some sort of blending of timelines like that's not outside the realm of what science would consider possible and that's what spooks me the most is the mm -hmm. fact like when i talk about some ideas physicists will be like no 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 and then i'll say okay that crazy idea is wrong what about this crazy idea and they're like no 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 i'm like okay so that's all nuts and then they'll be like but this could be true and i'm like wait that's crazier than anything i said combined <laughs> oh yeah baby oh yeah i'm like what do you do in physics again they're like oh we're working on light receptors to perceive dark matters like holy shit stuff's way stranger than i can figure out like ah oh, the future is going to be very interesting that's for sure i mean just the right. future in your my lifetime is going to be so distant from anything we imagined was possible like you know I still listen to Chumbawamba, so it's strange, <laughs> strange to me that we're in this reality now. Where More than the one song? Go Canada. Yeah, got to represent. Um, See, I know the one Chumbawamba song. That's the best song. There's a reason that hits are, are what people know. It's because that's the best song. No, actually, it's not true. The B-sides of the songs are often often excellent actually if you want a really good b-sides album listen to deftones b-sides that's oh, okay that's amazing um yeah often the best songs in, by a band are not their hits but uh, you know you know what band i thought had a really good song no one ever heard of and to be honest if you go and listen to it and it's crap just take note that I haven't actually listened to this song in like two decades, but Hanson had a song. Um, it was on their three car garage album and it was called pictures, I think. And I remember thinking that that was the best Hanson song ever. And like really wanting to like show it to people and be like, no, no, I know that like it's Hanson. But like, if I played this for you and didn't tell you it was Hanson, you'd be like, this guy can actually play guitar. Right. I don't know if it would be as impressive to re-listen to it as an adult now, but at the time in like the fourth or fifth grade, I was like, this is the best Hanson song that has ever Hansoned. And it's way better than anything that's on MTV. Um, I'm so happy that on this podcast we're talking about Hanson right now that's just makes me so happy my buddy actually sent me uh went to a gig a couple years ago 
at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver and he sent me a picture from backstage and I was like is that Hanson from <laughs> Kit and it said Hanson I was like he's like I'm opening for Hanson I'm like brother you've made it he <laughs> 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 I was like Jesus Christ I'm like how the fuck are you opening for Hanson he's like hey it's a gig I'm like that's that is correct it is a gig and uh, what can I say Jesus. Well, and I'm sure, like, and I haven't listened to their shit in years, but I know somehow that they still make music. So I'm sure as grown-ass adults that aren't, like, a huge radio sensation anymore, their music has probably matured. You know, like, you got to think about the fact that they were, like, 12 when they became a big thing, and now they're in their 30s. So the fact that their band still exists probably means it's way better. Oh my God. Can you imagine actually being in Hanson and being like an adult and, and people are like, Oh my God, you're one of the Hansons. And it's like, yep. Uh, I don't know what to do with that, but like you'd live with that the rest of your life. Like some shit you did when you were a kid got really right. popular. For, what was the big song? Oombop. Yeah. Oombop. 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 A dip a doo dip a dip a doo A dip a dip a doo yeah yeah (laughs) which actually the lyrics of that song are like real dark for a bunch of 12 year olds i thought that was the lyrics is there more lyrics well that's i mean that's the chorus but if you're actually listening to like the verses mbop refers to like the very short amount of time that you have to live this life i'm pretty sure it's like literally like it's an mbop and then you're gone and then, yeah, the like the thing I just did is like the chorus. But if you're listening to the lyrics, I don't think there's the song is actually about like life is short and like you're gonna die real soon. And boom bop, COVID bop, dop, boom bop, government, <laughs> bop, we're gonna lock down and die, go and die. Yeah. <laughs> they want us all dead. I swear to God. <sighs> I mean, they probably do. Except that we're their workforce, so there's that. That's probably the best thing we got going for them as far as they're concerned. Yeah, things have things have gotten dark. Very dark. And, yeah. and, and being here in Canada, where everyone's getting like two grand a month from the government, having just been in California, where everyone in America got like $1,000 once. Once. <laughs> I'm like really glad to be a Canadian. Oh, my God. It's like holy shit i couldn't i can't like i don't even know like it was bad when i was in the states and since september i can only imagine how much more brutal it's gotten for like like you don't hear about all the evictions and homelessness that are obviously happening but crap it's like it's got to be fucking brutal right right oh yeah. okay so here it is i googled it you googled um it. the lyrics to umbop you have so many relationships in this life. Only one or two will last. You go through all this pain and strife, and then you turn your back, and they're gone so fast. Oh, yeah, then they're gone so fast. Yeah. So hold on to the ones who really care. In the end, they're the only ones that will be there. When you're old and you start losing your hair, can you tell me who will still care? Who will still care? And then it's, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It's really just like everyone's gonna leave you. No one really cares at you. Catchy chorus. 
Oh my God. That's amazing. That's actually sort of genius, right? You write these like heavy, intense lyrics and then you're like, bop, do we dop, bop. It's, it's a brilliant <laughs> counterpoint. Um, oh my God. I didn't realize Hanson was such an amazing band. I have to rethink my reality now. Huh. Yeah, and the songwriters actually are them. Like the songwriters are actually credited as Isaac Taylor and Zach Hansen. So like they were actually kids writing this song, which is kind of a little depressing if you think about it. Because really, ideally, if you're like 12, you should be writing just like, there's a girl and she's so cute and my life is not horrible. Like that's the experience I want 12 year olds to have. It's sort of depressing to be like, no, actually they were really deep. God. And then they knew to put in a catchy chorus that would make sure that no one paid attention to the dark lyrics. Right. Yeah. It's brilliant. Well, shout out to Hanson. I'm sure they're listening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sure uh, that's what the Hanson brothers do with their free time as they listen to the Magic Without Fears podcast. They're all very heavily into the cult, the occult, I'm sure. Um, yeah. They're probably busy running a cult. <laughs> Perhaps. Nights. Who is it? Um, there was like a teen heartthrob guy that like got in trouble for running a cult something keaton i want to say is it andrew keaton maybe or i guess maybe not got in trouble but it it has come onto the radar that he is perhaps running a coat a cult of some sort um and they got like busted for illegal kombucha or some shit christ yeah you don't you want you don't want to have you know illegal kombucha jesus yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how that works. <laughs> I didn't know there was a lot of regulation involved with kombucha. Yeah, the kombucha trade, it's like, you know, it's a it's it's all the rage in the West Indies with the British Empire. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. You're running a coven, right? Yes. How do you guys work? Like when you set your circle or banish or, or prepare, what kind of stuff do you do? What's your style? Um, so we do use kind of traditional Alexandrian for our basic ritual framework. Um, so we cast a circle. We call the four quarters. Um, I like to sing in the quarters personally, because I find that singing is a really good way to get people quickly into gnosis, especially when I'm doing public rituals and there's going to be a lot of people there that, you know, perhaps are doing ritual for the first time. Yeah. I find that to be a really good way to do it. Um, so I use a song. It was um, Teethorn Coil and... Oh my gosh. I can't forget her name because I think she's the one who actually wrote the song. Let me see. Songs. I'm Googling it. Sharon Knight and Teethorn Coyle um, wrote, put out this album called Songs for the Waning Year. And they had a song on there 
that was like a chant about the four directions. And the way they do it is very beautiful and it's very like layered. So like one person is chanting one thing while the other one is chanting another. Um, mm. But I broke it up so that I have almost like a separate verse for each direction. And that's how I like to call the quarters in. Because like I said, I think song is a really good way to snap people into gnosis, especially people that ne don't necessarily have a lot of ritual experience, which when I was doing more public ritual was very much going to be the bulk of the room a lot of the time. Um, so we cast the circle, we call the quarters, then you bless the salt, the water, the incense, and the charcoal. Um, you combine the salt and the water, you sprinkle it around the circle, you combine the incense and the charcoal, you take the smoke around the circle. Um, and that's kind of your basic ritual start. Um, and then most rituals end with the cakes and wine. Um, so we bless the cakes, we bless the wine, and then everybody eats, everybody drinks. Um, and then at that point, you dismiss the quarters and you open the circle. And that would be the basic ritual format. And then basically whatever ritual you're doing goes in the middle part. Hmm. I've heard people say that um, in, in, in the craft, you create the circle so that you bring energy into the circle and sort of play with it within the sphere that you've created. But that in ceremonial magic, you're creating a circle to protect yourself from the energies you're calling to contain or work with them outside of that circle of protection. What's your thoughts on that? So I would say um, in Alexandrian, you're definitely, you're creating the circle to create a sacred space. Um, so like we do a lot of drawing down of entities. So like, like at the full the moon ritual, huh? You pull the entities and energies into the circle or are you- Yes, and into one of the people. So like okay. when I'm doing the full moon ritual, which we call the Esbot, um, we are calling a goddess into me. And then once the goddess is in me, she does like the blessing. And um, so what I do with my full moon ritual, because I don't like when you go to public rituals and the intention of the ritual is so specialized that it might not apply to everyone where they're at in their life. So what I do for my full moon ritual is we bless something for an intention of something you're trying to bring into your life. And then for the dark moon ritual, we do a, you know, hey, what's something you're looking to banish out of your life? Because no matter what's going in your life, going on, you know, there's something you're trying to manifest and something you're trying to get rid of, theoretically. Um, so with my full moon ritual, I have people bring stuff that gets blessed for their intention and then given back to them. So basically your stuff gets put on the altar. The goddess gets drawn into my body. She blesses it and then you get your stuff back. So like if you blessed a candle, you can then use that candle in another spell or burn it at a certain time. Or if you blessed 
Like there have been people who have their car keys blessed because they're concerned about having safe travel or what have you. Um, but I would say we're definitely not using the circle to prevent us from the entities that we're calling because otherwise we'd be, you know, reckless, crazy people to draw the entity into my own body. Like I'd be fucked if it was something that I was concerned about protecting myself from. Yeah. Do you call it aspecting? Um, some people do. Yeah. Um, we call, I typically call it drawing down or invoking. Um, but I think it's, it's essentially the same thing. I've heard people refer to it as aspecting before as well. Um, and I've also seen people get into like weird debates over who really is and who really isn't. Like I've had people tell me that because I remember what happens during the ritual after the ritual that I'm not really invoking, um, which personally I think is kind of bullshit, but that's, you yeah. know, that is their belief. And uh, it's very important to them to use their belief to poo-poo other people's magic. So that's, <laughs> Well, yeah, I would say um, in my experience, like if, if you have to set your own consciousness aside to pull in the force more fully, then that is, I've noticed it, that's usually something like when I'm not, the better I get at things, the more of my own consciousness I can maintain as a bystander to what I'm pulling through. If I'm fully, we call it contact work, um, not aspecting or anything like that. And in, in, in traditional magic, I don't mean it how that sounds, but like traditionally invoking is just praying, right? So okay. as opposed to, uh, sort of a form of possession or mounting as the voodoo would call it right um again the terminological issues are really irrelevant because the technique is all that matters in the result but the if i'm if i'm doing really good in a scrying session for example then i'm able to communicate then go revert to my consciousness write down questions and answers go back to the the contact point communicate again revert back to my unconscious but if i'm if i'm having a hard time connecting then i might have to actually more fully put aside my own mind and that's when it's really helpful to have an operator or a magician and a seer because if someone's mm -hmm. directing me or if i'm directing someone else that's really easy because they can just push their consciousness sort of to the side and let it flow through and they don't have to worry about direction or note taking or anything like that, depending on how you're doing it. And so I think right. there's a lot of nuance involved, but I definitely think, yeah, the idea that you need to be lose your consciousness and therefore memory of what you were doing as a way of validating the sincerity or the power of the connection is definitely a, a mistake. Right. I mean, it has not proven to be my truth. I'm not going to tell other people that they can't have their own truth. Um, but it, it does sort of create an awkward situation when their truth at its heart exists to tell other people that their truth is not. Um, I don't know. I am happy to be like, yeah, is that your truth? Your truth is sucks. Truth is. <laughs> 
You know why that's your truth? Because you're stupid and ugly. And you stink. <laughs> it's like uh, one of the wisest things my dad ever told me. And I don't know if he even remembers telling me this because it probably wasn't like a big moment for him or something. But uh, my dad told me that there are people in the world who want everyone to be exactly like them. And those people are called assholes. <laughs> and what more is we don't want everyone to be like them because then everyone would be assholes. <laughs> Sounds like my dad. And uh, I, think, I think that's a deep wisdom that he bestowed upon me. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jesus. Uh, magic's a tricky thing. I don't think it's very scientific at all. I think it's purely artistic. Well, yeah, I mean, Best. ultimately, I think in ritual, you communicate in the language of symbols. Yeah. Um, and that holds true for both the psychological and the supernatural model. Either I'm communicating with another entity that doesn't speak English and I need to use symbols to communicate with it, or I'm using symbols to access the part of my psyche that unlocks the result that I want. Um, but ultimately it comes down to symbols, um, which is why I always kind of cringe at those. I don't know if you've seen them float around here and there, but you'll see these things where it's like, hey, beginner witches, did you know that you can use quartz for any crystal and you can use rosemary for any herb and you can, and it's just like, they pick one thing and they'll be like, this is a substitute for literally everything. And I hate that so much because I feel like at that point, like it'd be better to say, well, I'm just not going to use a crystal. I don't have the crystal that I wanted to use. So I'm not going to use one. Because when you start saying, oh, well, then I'll just use a quartz for every single intention. And I'll just use rosemary for every single intention. And I'll just use a white candle for every single intention. At a certain point, you're, you know, if you take that to its logical conclusion, you're doing the exact same motions with the exact same items for every single intention. And at that point, you've stripped all symbolism from it. It's like saying, yeah, did you know if you go to a foreign country, the only words you need to know is chair. Well, I probably am going to do okay if I don't know the difference between the word for chair and the word for couch. But if I don't know the difference between the word for chair and the word for food, I'm going to have a real hard time. You need a couch. Right. Yeah. It's not going to go great for me. Um, and I wish that instead people would so encourage like, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. My bad. <laughs> I was like, oh. the rest of us are having curry tonight, but you're eating a sofa. Suck it up. <laughs> right, yeah, it'd be great. Um, uh, the, yeah, yeah, and the, I wish that instead they'd just encourage people to develop their own symbolism, you know? Yeah. Maybe you don't have the plant that whatever, you know, over-glorified recipe book said you needed to do this spell, but, you know, I might have lilacs and there were lilac bushes at my grandmother's house when I was a little kid, and therefore lilac bushes symbolize family connection to me. And I think if people 
did that sort of thing to come up with substitutions um, that have much more effective magic than just saying, you know, oh, yeah, quartz can be substituted for every crystal ever. Just do that. Just use a quartz for everything. I saw something similar to that in the Golden Dawn world recently when people were talking about the LBRP, which you're familiar with the LBRP, right? I'm not as familiar with it as you are, but I am familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and so so they were saying, look, the main thing about this ritual is is well, no, they were saying it doesn't matter what names you vibrate at the four quarters. It's all that matters is that they have meaning for you. And I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, first I thought, okay, is that true? And then I was mm -hmm. like, I just, I can't reconcile that, you know? Um, I just think it's, it's, it's so tempting to loosely equivocate one thing to another or everything to everything else, right? Like to mm -hmm. throw away the, the whole, the whole mess of correspondences in the magical world is, it's, it's overwhelming, but it's also useful. I mean, in the, in the neophyte initiation of the Golden Dawn, one of the most powerful lines is by names and images are all powers awakened and reawakened but not all names mean all things and not all images mean all things and to 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 loosely equivocate one thing to another is i've never been able to really put my finger on why that's bad but mm -hmm. it's like it's like if you're blending colors in a painting you can't just randomly throw all the colors any color together with any other color and say well it's all paint so it's all it's all going to work out in the end right you know what i mean right but at the same time it is an art form uh, more than a science so i yeah. think as long as you put enough thought into what names you're vibrating and why and you understand why you're vibrating that name, it's gonna work. Now, it may not necessarily work in the exact same way that the traditional LBRP does, um, but you're gonna get a result and it may even be a more specific result to what you intended than the repetition of a you know classic ritual. Um, I think overall, you know, learning these sort of classic rituals or classic frameworks is a good way to learn how to write ritual. Yeah. But you need to be able to write it yourself too. And I think that's where like spell books come up short. You know, I have a lot of spell books from like when I was younger. I don't buy spell books anymore. Right. Um, I was talking about. And I might if they explained the logic in them between behind like this is how I decided that I was going to use this plant. And this is how I decided that I was going to use this crystal because it would be much more fascinating to me to get the logic behind how another artist arrived at their conclusions than just right. to repeat their work. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I really agree with that. That is, uh, my experiences confirm that. And the, the grimoire tradition, I think, confirms that. There's a lot of debate about the grimoire tradition these days because you have these two sort of schools of thought. And one of them is very 
becoming very dogmatic in a strange way. They're saying that the grimoires are complete systems in and of themselves, even though they aren't complete because they don't contain everything you need to know. So you have to mix them together, but you have to follow them exactly if you want to achieve these results. And to that, I always go, say what now? Like, yeah, I mean, I do goetic workings all the time and I don't have like a golden ring and a blah, blah. You know, I put the sigil on paper because <laughs> uh, I'm broke and that's how I do that. I have a, a friend is currently making me a neon sign that's a goetic triangle. Um, that's awesome. And that that's going to be my goetic triangle that I use um, because he's one of the OEM guys. And uh, when I went to their most recent Sabbat, I've been, I've recently gotten into linoleum block printing where you like carve basically a stamp by hand and then you can make as many as you want. And I was making goetic sigils that way. And uh, when we got there, he had made one of these goetic triangles and we realized that he had made his triangle and I had made my sigils in the exact right size for my sigils to work with his triangle. So I was like, fuck, I got to get one of these triangles now. I can't not. Yeah. There's an interesting um, energy associated with the tools that we use. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about not needing them because you can just work with the tool astrally. I've actually, this goes back to something you said earlier about, uh, specificity in, in workings. And I've heard people say that they don't do, they, that they, I've heard people say that they do like certain advanced golden dawn rituals, like the bornless and stuff like that. And I'll be like, Oh, wow. You really do that ritual every day. And they'll be like, well, I don't do it. I, I just imagine it. And that's just the same. And I'm always like, well, it's not the same, right? Like the difference between imagining you're doing a ritual and doing a ritual is two different things. One involves physically going through the motions. Like if I'm like, yeah, I'm a big jogger. I imagine jogging every day. (laughs) It's like, okay, well that, that's good. Do you, how do you do that? Oh, good 45 minutes and really intense. It's like, but you're not actually doing it. You're not exercising the muscles, right? Hmm. I imagine jogging before I go to bed at night if I'm trying to, like, break through a certain barrier in my jog. So, like, um, when I first started, like, I couldn't jog my whole three miles. I had to walk most of it, and then I'd jog, like, little. So when I was trying to get to where I could jog the whole three miles without having to stop to walk, I'd, like, lay in bed the night before because I jog early in the morning. And I would imagine, like, yeah. This is my whole route and I'm not walking any of it. And that was like how I got myself up to being able to do it. But it would be completely ridiculous if I just then never tried to do it. Yeah. I mean, who has the time to imagine doing ritual work and then actually do it? I mean, you got to pick one, right? Either imagine doing it or actually do it. <laughs> it's a, it's a little silly. I'm, I'm, and again, sorry, I'm going on 19 hours of being awake here. So I'm a little loopy, but uh, the Fair other enough. part of the grimoire tradition uh, is the fact that the grimoire writers themselves, and we know this from the academics who don't believe in magic but study the grimoires more than the magicians who use them, 
I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a fun that's a fun fact about the world today. We actually have professors at universities who study the magical tradition more than the magicians who practice it. I love the fact that that change has happened in the world. God bless us. Um, <laughs> what a what a phenomena, you know. Um, and the grimoire tradition, we know from the actual academics who study it clearly demonstrates that the reason the grimoires are so incomplete is because the people who are writing and using them were basically just compiling enough information that they needed to get in touch with the beings they were talking about. And once mm -hmm. they did, they would go from there working with the being. And I know the, like, when I talk about the actual Golden Dawn rituals or the, the inner order rituals that I practice on a regular basis, the main mm -hmm. ones that I practice aren't the ones in the corpus of the tradition, but the ones that developed out of the corpus of the tradition by the adepts who practiced them over the last 115, 122 years, mm -hmm. or it's more than that. My math's off, forget my math. Um, and they would, these, these medieval magicians were using the grimoires to get enough information to make contact. Once they had contact, mm -hmm they would ask what to do next. And John Dee did this in developing the Enochian system with the spirits. He used older grimoires that he had access to and like Picatrix and stuff like that. And he, once he got in touch with the angels though, he said, hey, what do I do next? And from that, we have the richest magical tradition and system that's ever been developed. Like Enochian is quite phenomenal as a system uh, developed right. by basically two english dudes 500 years ago um mm -hmm. while they were high and from that we have something that's become so prevalent that it's even entered fully into pop culture i mean mm -hmm. enochians on tv right oh yeah crazy um there's a supernatural shirt i saw recently that like as much as I love that show, I really yeah. wish it didn't have a picture of Castiel on it because it just says it's funnier in Enochian. And it was like, oh, I love that shirt. That shirt would be 10 times better if nobody knew it was a supernatural reference. So he, Misha Collins is the guy I did some work for once upon a time. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, 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 uh, he, we went to the pub and for some reason I had to always buy the beers, but such is life with the film st TV stars, you know, and angels, angels never pay for beer. Don't expect <laughs> to ever, ever buy the Guinness. This is a- well, I think John D actually said that at some point, right? <laughs> I'm sure he did. Um, and uh, they, he ran by the whole uh, series finale and asked for my theological perspective on it um, to see if he, I thought it held water um, theologically, and I was very flattered to say the fucking least, right? Um, and we talked over several appointments at the pub, and I always bought the beer. And uh, of course, then the show didn't get canceled because the ending was so good, they kept it going for three more seasons. So that was pretty cool. I feel right. like I like to, I like to imagine that I was a small part of that, though really, probably I was just the chump buying the beers. Um, <laughs> Actually, I think there was some really interesting um, moments from a spiritual perspective in what ended up being the end of the show. That's um, what they told him based on the ending, the original ending before it got 
renewed and renewed and renewed. Now, don't mm-hmm. spoil it for me because I haven't seen the final oh, okay. season. I'm like, I right. binged the first eight episodes of it since I've been sick the last two weeks. And um, I'm going to finish it at some point. Uh, okay. Well, I'll say something, but I'll keep it real vague. Awesome. Um, so if you think of Castiel as being Cassiel, the angel of Saturn. Yeah. Um, then the last scene that we ever see Castiel in, I find to be an interesting... Is it Saturn um, Yeah, it's a very interesting thing as far as like the spirit of keeping your commitments because Saturn is very like about keeping your commitments, keeping your contracts, following the rules. And I find it very interesting um, when you look at Castiel, the character in the show's original orders um, and how that plays out to like the following the letter of obedience versus the spirit of what you were told to do. So uh, I'll leave it at that. And maybe it's one of those things that I've like overanalyzed where you might watch it and be like, I don't know what that bitch was talking about, but I found it to be a very interesting uh, juxtaposition, I guess, between yeah. those themes. No, that, that is very interesting. And the, the, the debate between the spirit and letter of the law is something that has been wrestled with since, you know, ancient Israelite times, of course. Um, gosh, what a, what a fascinating, yeah, what a fascinating topic. Um, it really applies to ritual magic and, and the traditions we come from, where we think about, you know, dogmatism, which is basically just um, ossified tradition versus mm-hmm. development of of practice and technique right so we have right. all these people that are saying you have to do it the way it was done by this person in this time or this group in this time otherwise you're failing to do it and then you have all these people saying look we've been doing this a long time and we're finding that this is an improvement or here's a new addition that might make it better and and that's to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of the magical tradition is this, uh, this tug of war between supposed traditional practice and what would you call it? Uh, I call it a living tradition. Well, yeah, Um, the idea, I mean, that goes back to the culture debate that we were talking about and, and the idea of appropriation Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that there's, pardon me, um, yeah, the idea that there's an, a, a specific, that you can say, point to a specific place in time and say, that's when it was true and real and anything else right. is, is heresy is so problematic on every level. I think most people don't even realize it. Um, even even logically or intellectually, it's problematic. Um, I mean, if we, we people people talk about Aleister Crowley going through the Golden Dawn faster than anyone else, he didn't. 
he also flunked out of it. Um, though I know that's going to piss people off when I say that. I mean, it's not really his fault he flunked out of it. He got caught up in a tug of war between Mathers and his uh, sugar mama and uh, was used as a tool. Um, but Crowley never learned the middle pillar ritual, right? Like they didn't even have it back then. They just had the LBRP. So Crowley referred to the LBRP as the ultimate ritual that could lead to the quintessence and the philosopher's stone. And me and some students were talking about that. And they're like, why do you think that is? And then I was like, oh, that's why it was. Because that was the only ritual he ever learned. That was it. Right. He never learned a single other ritual because all of that stuff back then was kept strictly to the inner order. And that is a fascinating thing to think about that what he learned as standard was to, is to us like less than preliminary. I mean, today you have most people in the beginning, if you follow Donald Michael Craig's modern magic, you're doing things like the analysis of the keyword from the get-go. And that's a ritual that in the tradition would take years to be ready for. And these days, if you join a modern golden dawn order, you'll spend maybe five to 10 years before someone will give you access to do this and give you permission to do that ritual and say you're ready for it after your mm -hmm. five people six initiation. So when you, you think about that kind of vast change in tradition, how can you say that one period in time when things were done this way or that way was the true way? I just, it boggles my mind that people are still standing on that soapbox. Right. Well, and I've come across some weird situations with that, like the releasing of information um, with like the Wiccan tradition. You have some really weird moments because it's gotten to a point where there are more people who are uninitiated that consider themselves Wiccan than people who have gone through the initiations. Yeah. Furthermore, there's no like central office or anything. So even no being initiated, you can't. Oh. How is <laughs> well, that like... possible? Isn't it run by Scott Cunningham from Beyond the Grave? <laughs> I was actually so, like... in the reclaiming tradition back in like 93, 94 by uh, mm -hmm. Pat Hogan in Vancouver, who was a protege of Starhawk. But I didn't stay. Okay. I didn't stay with that too long. But it, I was glad to get a bit of training in the reclaiming tradition because you know, I, I grew up on Scott Cunningham, like as as did a lot of us, right? But right. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Move on. But like, so furthermore, since there is no like central office of Wicca, you know what happens is yeah. you get to third degree and then you go off and you start your own shit. So amongst those who are initiated we all to some extent have a little bit different flavor of what we are or are not getting um you know i've talked to people who talk about how like oh yeah you had to hand copy the coven book into your own but i never had to do that that wasn't a thing that we did um or even like there have been rituals that i've been given on like written out rituals that like oh yeah in our lineage this is a very important ritual we never did that with you when you were going through the degrees at all but 
here is a written copy of them because they are important to our lineage and like you can do that with your people if you want. Um, but like, it's strange because on the one hand, you have people who have never been initiated who will tell you like you're not doing it right. You curse people. That's not how Wicca works. Wiccans never curse anyone. Oh, who initiated you? I'm not initiated. I bought a book. Okay, well, like this was an initiatory order before. And like, as a member of that order, I am still allowed to decide on my own practice. And like, it's weird that you're going to tell me what is and isn't Wiccan and whether or not I am or am not Wiccan when you are not initiated into it. But you also can't tell those people that they're not real Wiccans at this point because the meaning of the word has changed. And also on top of that, the extent to which you can even prove that you were actually initiated is very limited because there is no central office to have a record of it. And there's no secret handshake for me to like go up to another initiate and be like, see, I'm a third degree. I did my fingers in the weird way. Like, so it becomes very, uh, a lot of gray area in those sort of things. And it definitely is a gray area in a lot of ways, but there's still absolutely people trying to tell you that their way is the right way, even though there's no evidence of that at all. Or also, like, I've had, in one instance, somebody tried to, like, scold me because one of my initiates knew something that they shouldn't know yet at their degree. And I was like, yeah, they read it in a book. Yeah. So <laughs> unless I'm going to go to them and say, hey, you're not allowed to use that or talk about that until you're at X degree, which I would think would give away the secret of the degree more than just letting them do what they found in a book. And then when they get to, you know, whatever degree, have them go, oh, shit, that's part of that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like. I'm not going to hide it more effectively by pointing out to them that that's a degree secret. You're not supposed to know yet. So shut up. <laughs> yeah, no. But, you know, it's been in a book since before I was born and the book is still being published. So I don't know what you want me to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, one of the reasons in the, in the golden dawn that certain rituals are held off for a certain, till a certain point are because a lot of people forget this because golden dawn magic has become so mainstream and mm -hmm. appropriated in so many ways, which in my opinion is fine. Like do what thou wilt as the grandmaster Crowley says. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like these are rituals developed in an initiatory order. And if mm -hmm. you think the rituals aren't tied to the initiations, well, let me tell you, the initiations have a lot to do with the rituals so to do a right. ritual that you haven't done the initiation for what do you think are the odds that maybe you're missing something right whether it's a something symbolic that's perhaps imprinted on your sphere of sensation or not whatever doesn't matter that's theology or mm -hmm. maybe you actually are going through an alchemical journey and certain rituals are 
effective and useful at a certain part of the journey. But if you do them at the wrong part of the journey, you might miss out on something, right? You know, like if I say right. this ritual, if I say do the middle pillar with all white light for this amount of time and then visualize the spheres in the, the queen scale color of the tree of life, am I just trying to hold off knowledge to feel special and slow you down or, or create an artificial hierarchy? Or am I maybe aware that there's a developmental stage? I mean, if all initiation ultimately is from our higher self, which it probably mm -hmm. is, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's us and God, right? It's us and the, the spirit. It's us and nature. There's nothing really, I mean, no other human being is going to tell you what your actual relationship to God is at the end of days. And right. And listening to someone who's telling you that they can tell you that you're probably in a, a, a legit cult. Right. And, you know, and if that's, if you are, that's fine. Drink the Kool-Aid, have a fun time. Uh, but there, there's a, there's rungs to the ladder. I love the image of Jacob's ladder because when you think about a ladder, you're thinking about the heuristics of, of, of pedagogy and, and the process of educating yourself. And education is a, is a process of transformation. But if mm -hmm. you try and climb a ladder by jumping to the top rungs without ascending from the lower rungs, what's going to happen? You're going to miss or you're going to fall or you're going to hang on for a bit and then drop unless you ascend gradually right you know what i mean so it's like yeah i mean unless you're much more graceful than i am but i if i try to jump to the top rung of a ladder all, i'm gonna bust my face we all want to we all want to right and i mean i i was lucky enough to absolutely fail in my early practices to self-initiate through don craig's modern magic and i was trying to jump to the highest rung i could as quickly as I could, like, oh, why, why keep doing the LBRP if I can do the supreme ritual, the hexagram, pentagram, or hexagram? Mm -hmm. Why bother? I it never occurred to me in those early self-initiatory days, from age like thirteen to sixteen or fifteen, it never occurred to me that these things would cause an effect in my development, and that that journey was important to who I would become because that was never spelled out for me. And I think no book to this day spells that out very well at all. I think because well, people who know that that's true, take it for granted and don't explain it clearly. And then there's all the other people who are just sort of haven't had the experience. So they don't even know it's there to communicate in the first place. Right. And that's why I named my coven cultus catabasis um, because I felt like, going through the initiations was a series of rituals performed on myself to improve me as a person and to kind of go into my own shadow self or my own underworld and face things that I need to, to face to enjoy or improve myself. Um, and that's why I cultist catabasis would be the order of the journey into the underworld. So that's why I I gave it that name because I thought that that is what initiatory work felt like to me. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's powerful. What's your favorite ritual to do? Um, I don't know if I have one favorite ritual to do, honestly. Um, What's your favorite kind of ritual? The one I, the one I do the most, obviously, is our full moon and our dark moon ritual because I do those on a regular schedule, you know, each of them once a month. Um, but different rituals are more appropriate for different times in my life. So like right now I'm getting more into the goetic workings. Um, I just wrote and performed for the first time a goetic ritual I really enjoyed and that I've been asked to do again um, where I call upon three different demons. And the reason that I do that is for the purposes of protecting our magical community. Um, so I called on Andromalius because he protects against thieves and ill-intentioned people. I called about uh, upon Volok because Volok can tell you where snakes are found, which I thought was you know, a fun little metaphor for being able to see shitty people before they do shitty things to you. And then the other one that I called on was Buer because Buer teaches moral philosophy. Um, so the idea there was that, like, if I really want to protect my magical community, we can't just say, oh, we got to keep the assholes out. We also have to say, and we have to not become assholes. Um, so I called upon those three entities and I did it kind of non-traditionally where um, a lot of times I find doing goetic workings it's like we just do the grimoire written out process of summoning them. And then it's just like, hey, dude, I would like this. Um, but instead, I incorporated more like symbolic actions. So um, for Andromalius, we asked that Andromalius protect us. And then we put like scarves over our heads, like a veil. We were putting on the protection of Andromalius. Um, for Volok, we were asking to take into ourselves Volok's ability of seeing snakes. So we all took a drink. So we're taking something into ourselves. And then for Buer, we all looked into a mirror while we asked Buer to teach us the moral philosophy and teach us to be more moral people. Um, and I really enjoyed that juxtaposition of like the traditional grimoire style things of Goetia, but then also the sympathetic magic that you see in most of their type of witchcraft rituals where I have to do a thing to symbolize what I'm trying to manifest. Um, so I think I'm gonna be doing a lot more with that. Um, that sort of combination of things there but I really enjoyed that a lot but I don't know I don't have one favorite because what's appropriate to do for one intention and one thing I'm trying to manifest in my life is not always you know not always going to be relevant to what I'm trying to do in my life yeah 
Hmm. Yeah, demons, demons. You know, I I like to think of them as just as just uh, spirits doing their job. You know, not necessarily right. contrary to angels. Just in the in the Golden Dawn tradition, of course, we call them unclean spirits. So, which oh, okay. is a slightly nicer term than calling them demons. Um, we just see them as spirits <laughs> that are a little bit dirty. You know. Like, uh, right. I tend to refer to them as the goetic entities. That's, that's, um, that's and, yeah. and actually in that ritual, the one where I asked the goetic entities to help protect our community, I have like a whole speech at the beginning about how like, I don't like to use the word demons because I feel like it's putting a moral judgment on these entities, or at least it is gained the baggage in our society of having a moral judgment and i feel like man who constantly fucks each other over oftentimes for no good reason really has no right to be like but you're the evil ones right yeah uh my experience in uh the dmt realms was profound profoundly that they're just spirits doing their jobs Mm-hmm. you know making their part of reality happen and the idea that some are bad or good just went out the window um entirely and obviously neither of us or anyone who's ever been on this podcast has ever done any form of illegal substances so we're just making right. we go along but what what's been your hypothetical experience had you ever done dmt um i have found that for me personally a lot of it I don't remember. Um, and that has gotten better as things went on. Mm-hmm. And actually, the first one I remembered, the first thing that I remembered was a voice saying, you've been here before, you just didn't remember it. Yes. Um, yes. Everyone has experience, it seems. I- yeah. And it was kind of a weird thing because some of the people around me, one person in particular, was just very caught on this idea of like Ray's not freaking out, therefore Ray isn't doing enough. Yes. When I and I've never like snapped back freaking out. It's always like coming back from a peaceful nap and like a good dream. And then there's kind of a weird period of time where I can like hear things and maybe even see things that are in the room, but like I can't move yet. Um, so like I've had once or twice where I've come back and somebody was like, oh, I want a hug. Like I'm so, I had such a moving experience. I want a hug and I can't talk to them and I can't move my arms. So like my brain is just like, all right, dude, I'll remember that when I'm capable of delivering a hug, you're first on my list. Like, um, but yeah, I've, it's always been very gentle for me. I don't remember a lot of entities, but there's one I remember very vividly, which was like some sort of combination between the Cheshire cat and a Jaguar. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> so that, that seemed very special to me. And then I had one like weird one, like especially weird one where it was almost like, a, like the entrance to a sitcom but with people in my life. Um, And I kind of caught the message of that, which is 
I was having, I was going through like a transitional period where I moved and the people in the town I was moving from, some of them like basically went to me and were like, you're abandoning us and blah, blah, blah. And like, you're betraying everyone by moving to Kalamazoo and like, how dare you? And these were people that I had been very close to. And it was a very jarring experience to have them basically tell me like, you have no right to live where you want to live, even though it's like 20 minutes away from us. And it would still be very easy for you to see us every weekend. Like I'm putting my foot down and telling you what you can and can't do with your personal life. Um, and it, it resulted in like a falling out. And basically the message of this weird sitcom opening is like sitcom openings are always like the family. That's the, you know, the center of this TV show. And it was like a transition from one quote unquote family to my new quote unquote family. And basically just like the sacraments way of being like, yeah, no, that chapter's done though. Like you're on a new season of the Ray show. The cast has changed and it's okay. Like it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. It's a change. Yeah. Um, but it was a very, it seemed like a strange way for it to communicate that. Like I got the message, but it was also like, really? Like we're doing this 80s sitcom opening style, like full house. That's, that's what the theme we're going with. Okay. <laughs> were you ever shocked by the vividness of the colors? I think the patterns are more shocking to me than the colors. Yeah, the geometry. Yeah. Yeah. The geometry is definitely very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I get a lot of, like, I hear stuff, and I remember what I hear more than what I see. Yeah. So I write a lot of what I think is really good poetry, like, straight back, because... I remember what I heard and it was moving to me in some way. Huh. Huh. You know, it's, oh, sorry, fuck it. Huh. Going on to hour 20 awake. I'm sure my immune system will uh, get back to normal eventually, but for now I'm in autoimmune nightmare land. But, oh yeah terrific. i know it's like i have my i've got this esophageal disease where it caused my esophagus to close up and i stop breathing oh god but I like I, there'll be periods for like 16 to 20 hours where i can't lie down i have to just sit up um and pre hit pressure points so i can breathe it's really weird Oof. yeah i have celiac disease i mean i guess at least you know the pressure points i do <laughs> I, I looked them up and they they were added a lot of relief um yeah i have a stomach biopsy coming up at some point so we'll find out how much longer i have left but um <laughs> enough of that uh what was i saying god I'm... sleep I'm deprivation losing, i'm losing my mind Celiac. in this quarantine dystopia i really am it's 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 too much it's too much and I think about my friends who have who have 
died, chosen to die during this time. And I don't even know how to reconcile that. I'm just like, it's hard to- Have you- Hmm? Have you heard the theory that it's uh, just a giant initiation ritual? For the planet? Yeah. Um, so there is a theory that, so like a lot of initiation rituals prior to the initiation, what do you do? You sequester the initiate. You make them sit completely by themselves for an extended period of time. What's another thing that's very common in initiations? Masks. Yeah, um, I actually have. And then some people think that the six foot apart is part of it. I don't, personally, I've never been involved in an initiation where we had to like make sure we were exactly six feet apart. But I guess that's one of the things that people say is part of it. But there's some people who say that this is all like COVID-19 is an excuse to make us all enact this ritual so that the entire planet is getting initiated into our higher selves or something, or, you know, initiated into something. I don't know. Um, initiated into a, a new world order. Perhaps. I mean, it's, is the, is it again, it's one of those things where it's just a theory and uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I do find it fascinating. Yeah, um, up, here, up here, it's not six feet, it's two meters. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no there's no magical number six corresponding to Tiferet here. It's just uh, two meters. Enough. But but you know, two meters is the the amount of people who I see and who in who I, I see when I go out who will be like on the other side of the you'll see people on the other side of the street walking their dog alone wearing a mask, but then mm -hmm. you'll go in somewhere and they'll be like, please put on your mask. And then the employees will will be doing their job and brush by you within an inch. It's like mm -hmm. uh, it, it's like some part of us knows that this is all a bunch of bullshit, but at the same time it's real because it's you know you can definitely catch it and be one of the unlucky few to succumb. Right, and I don't doubt that it is a thing that exists. Um, but I sort of look at it like 9-11 in the sense of like, I don't doubt that those buildings came down. Um, and I don't know for sure who I think brought them down. Like there's different theories on that and so on and so forth. But I definitely think that regardless of who attacked those buildings, whether you think it really was someone for another country, or you really think that it was the United States government doing it to themselves or whatever, there is no doubt in my mind that the people in power then used that situation and used the fear created by that situation to gain more power and to put things into place that allowed people to give up their privacy and feel like they like it was okay because hey we're all scared of this thing and if you just you know go forward with the patriot act then uh, you'll be safe from this thing so it's mm -hmm. fine as soon as i um, come back to and canada, i think we've seen similar things with covid yeah absolutely canada just like in you know all the stuff that you guys in the states are struggling with whether or not you'll you want it to happen well canada just mm -hmm. did it 
like, and no one even knew about it or questioned it. As soon as I got back into the country, they video interviewed me, they voice recognition imprinted me, they made me connect my bank account to the government and they track mm -hmm. me on everything, every purchase I do, everything. When I called my bank the, uh, the other day, uh, I was like, do you, need, do you need any information to confirm who I am? They're like, no, we, we got it from voice recognition the second we heard your voice speak. I was like, oh, so that's how this is gonna go. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uncomfortable. I don't like, like that. It's 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 like it's done. It's game over here up in Canada. And then I found mm -hmm. out that Canada has sold all of our natural industries to China for the next 35 years. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm seeing the picture now. Well, at least they're giving every citizen two grand a month, which God, I would if right, if, yeah, we're not getting that. Dude, if um. Trump had done that, he probably would have won the election, right? I mean, perhaps, who knows? There's there's still people debating whether or not he did. So, well, um, I, the, we're, I, you know, I we're in a very weird place in the United States at this point. I can see this where now, nothing is a fact anymore. Now, now that I'm out of the state safely, I can I can safely confirm that I, I knew progressives and Democrats in California who when I said to them, um, do you think that there's a problem with potential fraud in the in the mail-in ballot thing that's what you call it mm -hmm. the mail-in ballot thing they're like it doesn't matter as long as trump gets out he's evil and needs to be stopped and i was like so the system that you guys are so proud of doesn't matter if the person in charge you, is someone you don't like and they're like exactly and i was like oh yeah that's absolutely a yeah. belief that people hold i I, um, I try to tell this to canadians they're like I think you're just making that up. And I'm like, I'm not making that up. It's it's exactly as polarized as I'm telling you. And they're like, well, how bad could it really be down there? And I'm like, it's really bad. Yeah, it's, we are way overly polarized. So like one thing is, um, and they're not doing this now because they've shut down restaurants completely at this point. But one thing they were doing briefly is they had a law that they put into place that was like, hey, if you go to a restaurant, um, restaurants have to have you when you come in, you have to write down your name, your telephone number and address. So yeah, they have to keep a record of everyone that comes to the restaurant um, that they'll then like turn over to the health department or whatever. And then if anyone says, like anyone gets COVID and says that they got to that restaurant, then we can contact everyone else who went to that restaurant. And I said, like on Facebook or something that like, hey, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just not going to go to restaurants for the time being. And there were people that got like pissed off about it. And they were like, well, it's just ridiculous that you would try to say that that's some sort of privacy violation when you're using Facebook. And I was like, yeah, I mean, Facebook is rampant with privacy violations. I'm not going to deny that it is. But I have made a decision that I want to use Facebook and that knowing this, I'm giving, you know, I'm going to use Facebook knowing that it has these problems. And in, by the same token, I can decide that I'm not going to go to restaurants because I don't feel comfortable with this privacy violation. So I'm not going to do it. And yeah. still people were like pissed off. And the thing is, you can say all you want and they do that like, oh no, it's, you know, it's a concern to other people. You're, you're not prioritizing other people's safety by saying this. 
but how am I more endangering people by not going to restaurants at all? I'm fucking not. Even if COVID-19 is a hundred times worse than anyone says it is, I'm actually being safer by just not going to the restaurant to fucking begin with. Yeah, my friends all wanted me to come to a bar with them to uh, watch the Tyson fight. And I was like, why don't we just go to your house? Won't that be more fun? And they're like, oh no, we got it. We, we can't, that's not safe. And I'm like, going to a bar is safer than us going to your house. They're like, yeah, you're not allowed to have, you know, other people in your house for because of COVID. And I'm like, how, how does going to a bar make more sense? And they're like, oh, well, okay. And then I talked to them after the fact and they're like, yeah, we canceled it because of what you said. <laughs> right. And I was just like, it, the contradictions are just so overwhelming and, and, and insane, right? I mean, like, clearly to me that the people who are unlikely to die from getting it should mm -hmm. work and go out and keep the economy running. If you're, if you've got like comorbidity diseases or whatever they call them, like, yeah, you mm -hmm. got to isolate. I'm, I'm basically isolated from now as long as my mom's alive because we don't want her to die isolated because if she got it, she'd be fucked. That is right. no with that. I mean, she's got, you know, cancer and all these you know, tons of other shit I don't want to get into, but it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, so I don't want her to get it. And so that's, that's me done for the next, however long, longer, the better, as long as she's alive. That's great. Want her to live. She's going to live forever. Right. My mom's never going to die. That's a fact ever. <laughs> right. That's how I feel about my grandma. She's about to turn 90 next month. Oh, nice. And, uh, she actually just um, was diagnosed with COVID like a couple of weeks ago. And she was like, I feel fine. I'm a little tired, but I feel fine. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to say that it doesn't worry me because like, it does. But also if you feel fine, then like, I'm not going to freak out about it. Like maybe when you start saying you feel like shit, I'll worry a little bit more. But like, I, I realize that me freaking out while you say you feel fine is just like me being selfish because I want you to be here for the entirety of existence. I love that your grandma got COVID and felt tired. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, I'm a little tired, but it's fine. Like, I feel okay. Last so. year, my four foot 11, 97 year old Irish grandma uh, went to the hospital with heart problems. And at 97, if you get put in ICU with heart problems, like all the relatives from the, the UK flew over, everyone came. It was a whole big mm -hmm. thing, like say goodbye. Two weeks later, she drove herself home. <laughs> now she's 98. It's like, what yep. the fuck? I was like, mm -hmm. Grandma, how do you how do you stay alive and, and healthy? She's like, well, I work out every morning and I drink two glasses of wine at night. The doctor says I shouldn't have more than two, but I usually do because I figured at my age, I deserve it. I'm like, I fair enough. I deserve it. If I was 98 <laughs> and still like going to hot bodies every morning at 6 a.m., I'd be like, I deserve to do whatever the fuck I want to do. <laughs> right. Know? Well, and my grandma, like, I don't, I don't even understand how she had five kids, and then she was uh, also a kindergarten and first grade teacher. So, like, the patience on this woman <laughs> is just more than the bounds of like human limitation. Well, um, that's the great generation, right? I guess. 
At least she is. I don't know about the whole generation. I'm certain they had assholes too, but she's pretty great. <laughs> not like not like you millennials. <coughs> All you oh no, we do. got assholes too. We definitely do. <laughs> you guys just play video games and make millions of dollars on Twitch, right? I, mean, I wish. <laughs> I I showed my aunt the other day a, a YouTuber, a bass player named Davy504. I was like this dude's made almost $2 million on his bass videos on YouTube. And she's like, you know, he's probably the only one. No one makes money putting videos of themselves on YouTube. And I looked at her like, oh, honey. Oh, honey. <laughs> I, don't well, even, I mean, I don't even know how to bridge your People certainly <laughs> do. But the percentage of people that do, you know, for every person that launches a career off of that, there's 100 people that fucking dull you know it's um so like do you know who bo burnham is uh he's a comedian right yes he's a comedian and he got his start doing youtube videos and i saw an interview with him at one point where the interviewer whatever talk show he was on was like what advice do you have for young people who like want to do what you did and he's like well, my advice would be not to look for life advice from people like me who just got extremely lucky. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not... There's always an element. There's no, like, training program that made me, like, the funniest comedian doing keyboard videos on YouTube. Like, I just happened to be the one that people found and enjoyed. And, you know... Well, you never... Yeah, the idea that you can know what art is going to be connected with at a certain time and place is is absurd right you can all you can do is make art and see what right oh absolutely yeah and if you're doing it if you the the one thing i've seen consistently is if people make something because they think that doing it a certain way will achieve success that usually doesn't work right well and like personally i don't want to monetize any of my art. Um, I have found that that takes away from some of the enjoyment for me. Um, When I worked at a tattoo shop, I did not enjoy drawing as much as I just enjoy drawing. When I was in radio, I did not enjoy writing and performing comedy as much as I do at stand-up comedy open mic nights. Um, When there was a witchcraft shop selling my incense, I didn't enjoy making incense as much as I do when I just make it for my rituals and then like maybe give someone a little Ziploc baggie of it when they comment that they liked the incense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like a good example actually is this podcast. Um, I I had many false starts trying to podcast just for fun here and there and it never Mm -hmm. worked out. And then during COVID I just started doing it all the time because I don't know. I just thought I just, I did it. I started doing it in a way that made me happy that, and I Mm -hmm. didn't give a fuck at all. (laughs) And I still don't, (laughs) if you can't tell. (laughs) And uh, as, and, and, you know, from April 1st to present, it's gotten, now it's like, what, you know, six, it's like 6,000, 6,000 downloads a month. Like that's stupid. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, you know, now, so- I know you've definitely been putting out more content since COVID um, because there's like, there's a few podcasts that I follow 
that I like try to, I'll switch between you guys where like I listen to one of you and I catch up on every episode and then I go to the next one and I catch up on every episode and then, you know, I go through like three or four. Um, and since COVID happened, you and a few of the other ones have just started putting out way more episodes where it's like, oh yeah, I'm putting out like an episode a day. And it's like, oh my God, I'm never going to get fucking caught up again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, was, I started doing like three hours a day for a while. Um, yep. But that's because I couldn't like, you know, leave my room without mace in my hand. So that, that would contribute to that. Um, right. Yeah. That's a uh, good formula for productivity, I guess. Yeah. And plus I stopped really giving a fuck. I stopped doing it for other people. I started doing it for me and, uh, and I'm still doing it for me and that's great. Like, you know, that's mm -hmm. why I like, I like talking to whoever I just, I love people like fucking people are great. And that's one of the saddest things for me about what the state of the world today, it's almost like we've, we're only looking for ways to hurt each other and, and tear each other down rather than to look yeah. for what's beautiful in our existence. And it breaks my heart, really. It breaks my fucking heart that we can't rejoice in our existence and we're so stuck looking for ways to cancel each other. Like I, I can, people reach out to me and we'll start talking and, and it becomes evident that the reason they're talking to me is because they're trying to pigeonhole me into saying something that they can then share and uh, indict me for. And mm -hmm. uh, it's like, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, I've been down that rabbit hole so many times in life. You can't be in magical orders or covens without dealing with uh, wankers, right? Right. Well, it's a group of people. And that's... Um gonna be your biggest pitfall there is that they're people i um i don't know if you listened to it at all or if it inspired you to ask me to come on your podcast because it's a mystery to me why you did but um i was recently on the scroll of thoth podcast and uh the subject that they brought me on to talk about was like the building of magical community and that was kind of like my biggest thing with it is like at the end of the day, building a magical community, maintaining a magical community, it's relationships with people. So all of the things that I can tell you to like have a healthy community, it's really the same shit that I would tell you to have a healthy relationship. Like set boundaries, be honest with people, don't stab people in the back and don't let people do it to you, you know? And, you know, 98% of the fucked up pitfalls that you get in the magical community are just pitfalls that you have with people, um, you know, concentrated into a slightly different environment, but. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what we were talking about earlier, right? It's like, or no, I was talking about that with someone with a student. Yeah, P, uh, that's what I was trying to say to a friend, a student is, is just if you join an order or a group or a coven or the OTO, it's like, you got to remember, these are people, these are not, you know, they're just people and people are people. And you got to remember that and uh, keep your boundaries. I mean, if you're, if, if people are trying to get you to give up your boundaries, that there's a red flag. Right. For sure. Oh, absolutely. And that's, one of the biggest things is uh, that I think gets people into these traps is they kind of go, oh, well, you know, they're my 
they're my mentor or they're my high priestess or they're a fifth degree or whatever. So they're, you know, more enlightened than me or wiser than me or more pure in some way. And at the end of the day, they're just fucking people. Yeah. And also the other thing I see, um, and I see this like, especially with very, very new people or like, I'll see it sometimes like online in like the local, you know, like Southwest Michigan witches group where people go to find out when rituals are happening. You'll see people make posts that are like, hey, my cat had kittens. I need to find homes for them. And I really want to make sure that these kittens all go to other witches because I know that then they'll have the best home that they possibly could because witches are all loving, wonderful people who care and respect animals. And I'm like, that's not true at all. And like... There's a lot of I really hope that that's not how you approach everything else in your life. Like, if you're just going to be like, yeah, no, you're also a witch. Cool. I'll loan you money. Like, that, you're not seeing that money, sweetheart. That sucks. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, animal sacrifice has sort of made a comeback. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. You probably are. I mean, I guess in theory... Um, I don't know how accurately one could say that it's made a comeback, though, or, you know, it, is it, how do you quantify that? Like, who's keeping the animal sacrifice census? Good point. Good point. And how, honestly, are people reporting to the animal sacrifice census, too? Well, I've heard people on podcasts talk about doing it, and I'm like, whoa, that's some heavy stuff. Like you sacrificed a goat to do a spell against this politician, you and your group. They're like, yep. I mean, I've definitely heard more people talking opening openly about it. Um, but I don't know if that necessarily means that it's happening more. Um, yeah. It, I think exactly. people feel more comfortable talking about it publicly. And also to some extent, there are also people that are kind of going to be looking for something that, they feel is taboo so that they can be like edgy and cool, but also that they can justify. Um, That's and you know, there's always been practices that are doing that. You know, it's not like, yeah, it's not through Haria or voodoo or anything. were like not around before millennials were blogging about it. Yeah, no, very true. We're just uh, a lot more, uh, transparent these days i mean there's no real reason to uh conceal that stuff because jesus i mean you can pretty much do anything these days and people seem to uh give it a pass if uh if we've learned anything from <laughs> the whole epstein thing right like oh. i mean yes and no because there's certainly a lot of things that you know people are not willing to give a pass on ultimately like people just have too many opinions about what other people are doing and then when somebody is doing some shit that we absolutely should all have an opinion on like epstein if they have money and power they can fucking buy their way out of it and it doesn't matter but you know yeah if if i were to post a political opinion online that somebody didn't like well i got to hear about that there's going to be consequences yes yes or like the whole 
the whole tarot debate going on right now with the Romani people online and on uh, TikTok. And they're all mm -hmm. the rest of us that we can't do tarot without being racist and appropriating their culture. That's a big deal. Like two friends of mine yeah, I death threats about that right now because they're white girls doing tarot and the Romani TikTokers are like, you're appropriating our culture, you should die. Someone should kill you. Yeah, I've heard about that one. And the other interesting thing that I've heard about that one um, is there's also a lot of people in the Romani community who say tarot is a like a racial stereotype about the Romani people. It's not actually one of their traditions. So now we have people who have taken this thing that may or may not, depending on who you ask, just be a racial stereotype and put it onto this culture and say, it's offensive to this culture that you're doing a thing that I have assigned to them as a stereotype that they don't even want. It's, it's so similar actually to the, the, did you hear about the, the trying to cancel Dungeons and Dragons and the, that because orcs are racist. Did you hear about that? No, I did not hear about that one. One of my favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> I love this so much. So a whole movement of people came out trying to cancel Dungeons and Dragons by saying that orcs are racist. And you're going to love this. This is the deal. So they're like, orcs are racist because they're brutish, vulgar, vicious, and evil, and like aggressively criminal. And clearly those are all the traits that are natural to black people and therefore they're racist against black people. That's gotta be parody. That's parody. Oh, no. My most friend, people can't be serious. No. Yeah, they're saying they're saying orcs in Dungeons and Dragons have all the same traits that we see commonly in black people, and therefore they're a stereotype that's racist against black people. And they fail to realize that they're the ones equating these fictional monsters with black people yeah no that's got to be parody that's it's satire or oh, something it not it is not i swear to god you can Ugh. if you check it out you'll find out it's very real but this is the trend in anti-intellectualism that we have going on here right i mean that's it's just so common right now to just look for yeah you know oh it's i don't even know where to begin um it's so absurd it's it's so crazy like yeah i don't know what to say now tarot didn't that actually come from the golden dawn or am i wrong tarot, about the etymology here tarot comes from roman catholicism in the 15th century and okay it was it was, it was so that's what's crazy about it being associated saying it's appropriating pagan romany culture because the original well, the oldest tarot deck in existence is missing three of the trump cards that we're familiar with. And what it had was three other trump cards no, named Faith, Hope, and Charity. Sounds, okay. Sounds a little Christian, doesn't it? I used to know three girls named Faith, Hope, and Charity. They were <laughs> sisters. That sounds like the beginning of a joke. Are you a comedian? <laughs> I am, but that is not a joke. I knew a family that they named their daughters Faith, yeah. Hope, and Charity. It's and Catholic. And then all the sons' names, I think, were saints. So there was a Patrick, 
I don't remember if there were more sons or what their names were, but there was, it was definitely a Christian influence in the naming process of their children. I I talked to one person. I said, this is a Catholic thing they use for divination. And they said, why would Catholics ever use divination when, when the inquisition was about destroying magic and, and occult practices. And I'm like, Oh, Oh my dear, you don't know history. And that's, that's a big problem we're facing right now is we're, forgetting history i mean you see that with the mm-hmm. uh the whole uh the uh, whole socialist antifa movement they're like we're socialists against fascists but it's like well if you know history you know that nazism is an abbreviation for the national socialist gesellschaft which is the national socialist party so nazism is socialism like and the fact that these people are saying we're socialists against which means we're against Nazism is a complete contradiction. If your socialism is the bedrock of Nazism, that's a f- historical fact. And the fact that people don't realize that and are saying it's not true is scary to me because you know that saying, it's an adage, but it's, it's real. You, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And I'm terrified of us being in the midst of repeating history. I mean, we got these concentration camps going on right now in China, selling organs and stuff. It's just, I'm actually- well, fuck, I We have concentration camps in the US at this point. Right? I mean, you could argue in Canada that the reserves given to First Nations people are essentially not much different. I mean, it's not much difference than what we did to the Japanese. I grew up in a small fishing village of Japanese people, and most of them who lived there uh, were in internment camps during the Second World War, and they lost mm-hmm. all their property to, uh, you know, us white folk while they were in those camps. And when they got out, we were like tough shit. And uh, right. you know, that's one thing I see with the social justice movement is they're very big on talking about fixing these things and making people feel guilty about things but they don't seem very interested in fixing the problems like they don't seem very interested in actually making a difference for the marginalized community they just want to tell the people who aren't marginalized that they're bad it's like why don't you take that time and energy and actually go and help these people that need help you know biggest problem we have in vancouver with homeless people is they don't have socks this has been going on for 20 years. When I was in seminary, mm-hmm. we were handing out socks because that's what they needed because they're sleeping in cardboard boxes on the street. And today yeah. that's the same problem. Like I've lived, I've lived in foreign countries. I've lived in Asia in poor countries. I've been to Cambodia. They have socks. Anyone who wants socks has socks. And yet right. in Vancouver, one of the wealthiest, most expensive cities in the world, people don't have socks what the fuck are we doing? What are we talking about? All that social justice stuff seems to me just to be a bunch of privileged bullshit from people who have never actually faced real hardship and have zero interest in remedying actual problems in our immediate environment. They just want to talk a bunch of smack on Twitter or whatever the kids are doing these days, TikTok, you know? I don't know. Right. Well, and like, oh, I had a thought. And then it flew away. <laughs> I had a thought. It was a beautiful thought. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was the most intelligent thing I've ever said. But it's alas, we'll never know. Intelligent um, thing I've ever said. 
<laughs> right, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it makes me think a lot um, with the subject of homelessness, how you have all these homeless shelters that are really just there for the purposes of proselytizing. So oh. they'll be like from Christian charities, but then it's like, well, if you want a place to eat or you want a meal, then like you need to like accept Jesus or at least like listen to my sermon about Jesus. And I always found that very strange because it's like at the end of the day. Um, so when I was in high school, I was a member of a Christian youth group and I was already practicing witchcraft. I did not believe in Jesus, but they were doing some kind of cool charity work. And my friend was a member of their church group and she took me to the pastor and basically was like hey um my friend here is not a christian she doesn't believe in any of this but i was telling her about some of the charity work she's that we do and she's interested in being a part of it and the pastor said well you know if you're willing to come to church twice a week just so that you can use that as a vehicle to help other people then i think jesus would be okay with that and he wouldn't care that you don't believe in him. So like, there's no reason that you can't be a part of our youth group, even if you don't believe in Jesus and you're just using it to help other people. Like Jesus would be cool with that, welcome aboard. Um, and I feel like that is something people miss on a lot when they're trying to do good for people is it shouldn't matter whether or not they're willing to listen to you talk about your beliefs. If you really want to feed homeless people, then you just feed homeless people. Like it's yeah. fine. It doesn't make sense to me that there's homeless shelters where people have frozen to death on the fucking front steps because they don't let gay people in. That's insane. Yeah. Why are you running a homeless shelter at that point? And how on earth did you read the New Testament and go, yeah, I think this Jesus guy, he would have liked me to feed people, but not the gay ones. Like, there's no way in hell. <laughs> yeah. Like, that might not be my holy book, but I've read several translations of it, and I have not read a single one that made me go, yeah, let, uh, let gay people freeze to death on the front steps. That's what he's after. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite Bill Hicks lines where the, the guy's like, hey, buddy, come here. I'm a Christian. I don't like what you said. And Bill Hicks is like, so forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a legend, eh? Who's your favorite comedian? Um, currently, and probably for the past few years, my favorite comedian has been a girl named Eliza Schlesinger. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I know her. So I, I have heard from other people that she is not their favorite comedian. Um, one stand-up comedian told me that she's a hack, and I was like, "All right, dude, but you're playing the same bar as I am." So like, she has five Netflix specials. I don't. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> my favorite thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a hack. Uh, someone someone wrote on on gave me an Amazon review uh, recently where they said that my books are so horrible I had to self publish them because no one would ever publish them and I was like 
yeah, it has nothing to do with the 80% royalties they give me. Not at all. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, seriously. Um, shit. Yeah, you can get a dollar a book or you can get $8 a book. What would you rather have? <laughs> One in, right. it's just, uh, yeah. Well, and not to mention the fact that like getting someone else to sign on it, uh, sign on to it is not necessarily a measure of how good it is. So like you look at Frank Herbert, um, the first Dune book had been rejected by publisher after publisher. And finally, the person that would publish it for him, if I'm not mistaken, was a company that normally published um, like car repair manuals. Like, so you know how you can like go to AutoZone and be like, I just bought a 92 Ford Focus. I want to have the manual on hand in case I need to fix anything. And they'll be like, oh, here's the book on fixing 92 Ford Focuses. That's Jeez. what that company published. That's amazing. And they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll publish your weird-ass sci-fi novel. Why not? Oh, there's going to be 28 other installments, and it'll end up being a cornerstone of the sci-fi genre that, like, even massive sci-fi empires like Star Wars obviously borrowed from. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, Dune is, you're talking my language. Dune's an amazing book. Uh, damn. Yeah, I'm just now starting the sixth book. Um, yeah. So some of the people in the OEM started a Dune book club. And it was because we go to this festival every year called Babylon Rising in the June. In the June, goodness, in June. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so one of the things that they do is they'll work magic with like their own created paradigms. So like um, one year they were doing magic that was like based around Twin Peaks and they decided they wanted to do Dune Paradigm. So they started like an online book club ahead of time so that by the time this festival rolled around in June, we all would have had the opportunity to read the first Dune book together so that then we could all do this ritual and people who hadn't read it before had a chance to like get caught up and they'd understand the symbolism we were using in the rituals. Um, and then COVID happened and the festival got canceled for the year and we just kind of kept going. So now we're starting the sixth Dune book together. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very chaos magic paradigm. Yes, they are very chaos magic. Um, so the idea behind the OEM is it's like chaos magic plus morals. <laughs> um, so a lot of times chaos magic is sort of portrayed as or practiced as like all that matters is learning these tools to manifest things and that's it, um, right. which was kind of cool and punk rock when you're you know 15 but you get to a point in your life where you're like that's not entirely what i want to do though yeah. so these guys were chaos magicians and they decided like all right what's our next evolution of that it'll be emergent magic um so emergent magic is very much the principles of chaos magic but also with an emphasis on community um and how do we build and you know 
maintain a positive magical community. Um, so like they don't have a degreed system. They don't have a hierarchy. There's no like I'm the boss involved. Everyone's an equal. Um, so that's definitely one of the things. Um, but it, you know, it's about getting together with other people to do magic and forming those friendships and, you know, being able to work within whatever paradigm. So you can have an emergent magic group where like some of us come from a Golden Dawn background and some of us are Wiccan and maybe this person was just always a chaos magician, but the focus is on the community working together to do their magic. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what system you're trained in. If you're if you're trained well, you, you work well with others. And that's something I think right. doesn't get enough attention. Like there there you can do things in in one from one perspective, you can do things however you want, but from another, there is some qualitative measurements that you can make about ritual work. I just feel like uh, I think a lot of people don't take ritual work seriously enough but again mm -hmm. probably my bias speaking because i come from a, a rigorous tradition that's not very religious like golden dawn's actually very unreligious i mean you can be whatever religion you want it's more about practicing these techniques in a very empirical method and then tracking your progress and also then learning certain formal structures. Like, you know, if you get someone saying, well, this is how I do that thing. It's like, well, that's great, but now we can't do it together because we're not speaking the same language, right? Like I mean, right. and the language you're speaking, but it's not gonna work out so well if we, it's gonna be confusing if we're speaking different languages at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But also, it's nice to be able to bring in different influences. Oh, you have um, and that goes back to like what I said about a living tradition, you know. Yeah. So like um, one of the guys in Cultus is Native American. Um, and he sometimes brings those influences into ritual. Sometimes he wants to do rituals that involve that belief system. And I'm sure as fuck not going to be like, no, we're only doing this, you know it's nice. It enriches the practice for everyone to be able to bring in their own shit or like me being Creole. Um, I don't talk about it a lot because it goes into a whole weird debate about cultural appropriation for a lot of people, but I will use some elements of hoodoo in my magic because that is the magic of my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that it's kind of bullshit when people are like, but you're white. So you can't because like at that point, you're implying that my grandfather would like look at me and be like, well, no, not that descendant. She came out too light. I don't want nothing to do with that fucking kid, which is insane. <laughs> like, yeah, but no it, way in hell. Yeah. Like my ancestors are my ancestors. And, you know, it's in some ways, great. that's why I like hoodoo, because hoodoo works with your ancestors. And it's nice to be able to connect with my ancestors in that way. Um, so I'm certainly not gonna per, like keep that out of my magic because you know it's not Alexandrian and we're doing an Alexandrian ritual right now. Um, yeah. You know, there are some rituals that we're gonna stick more to one paradigm or another, but 
people come to a magical group as fully formed people with pre-existing influences. And especially now, um, nowadays, I think most people before they join a coven or before they join an order, they've already been practicing magic for a while. The yeah. likelihood that someone's like, well, I've just, I've read about it. Um, I'm interested in it, but I've just been straight armchair magician because I didn't want to have any sort of developed practice before I took initiatory oaths. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's, it's not likely. Yeah, um, and really, uh... if people have come to you as a pure like armchair magician, it wasn't like on purpose. Like they weren't like saving themselves for group magic. They were just like, I don't, act I read the stuff. I can't figure out how to just do it. Yeah. I, I read a I read a book. Now it's time to get hoodwinked and stripped naked. Re initiate me. <laughs> no, people usually uh, do a lot of trial and error before they're like, "Hey, maybe I need to uh, go work with people who have learned from other people and part are part of the living tradition," as you say, you know. And I mean, that's what I had to do because I just kept hitting walls. And I was like, "Okay, mm -hmm. there's stuff I I'm not a." I don't know what I don't know is what I started to realize after a few years. And, right. uh, you know, thank God I was humble enough to say, yeah, I'll, I'll play by your rules and learn what you guys are teaching. And uh, maybe I'll get something out of that. And what I got out of it was exceeded my wildest expectations. Of course, the amount of work I had to do also exceeded my wildest expectations, right? Like, you, right. Know, you think you're doing good, and then they're like, no, do it again. <laughs> like, spend another year doing that, then we'll consider moving you on. And it's like, another year? Really? Every day? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, okay. But, you know, you need that. You really, trial, trial is such a huge mm -hmm. part of initiation. I don't know what it is about our, our true or higher selves that that respond well to the fires of test and trial, but there's something going on there. There's something about it that really, it plays a big part. And I don't understand why, but I just, I know, I know it does. I saw a thing online the other day um, and I get like a lot of in my Instagram feed, I get a lot of like random affirmations just because I follow like the magic hashtag and the witchcraft hashtag. Um, but one of them that's going around right now is in the next month, both my income and my wisdom will double. And I saw it and I was like, okay, like the income would be cool but I don't want my wisdom to double in a month because there's no way that that's not a hell of a month. Like you get wisdom by going through shit. The idea that in one month I would accrue the amount of wisdom I have accrued in 33 years is terrifying. Like I'll be in an institution at the end of that month. There's no fucking way. <laughs> Talk about buyer's remorse, hey? Imagine me right, like, like I'm I've now become so wise that I realized that the my whole life up till now I was just a dumbass. Please right. give me the straight razor. I can't handle this shit. Yeah, I yeah. I wouldn't just I don't know, just thinking of the shit you'd have to go through to get a life's worth of wisdom in a month. Like that's a shitty month that I never want to experience. 
knowledge, no way in hell. Knowledge, in a sense, really is limitation, right? Because you gain a certain amount of knowledge to get you to the next point or the next rung on the ladder. But it, mm-hmm. without the limitation of not knowing what you don't know, how can you even be confident enough to do what you're doing at present? Like, take this podcast for example. Mm-hmm. If I was if I was as smart and as wise and mature as I will be in say 10 years, I would probably cringe at everything I'm doing at this point in my life. And therefore I wouldn't be able to do it. You, you need the limitation. Right. You need that Saturnine restriction of who you are to, to give it your all in the moment. And will mm-hmm. you be wiser and more experienced in the hereafter? For sure. And that is achieved through the limitation of the moment. It's like if you look at it Kabbalistically on the tree of life, right? The understanding of Bina only progresses along the next path to wisdom because of the restriction of knowledge. Bina and Saturn and understanding are inherently restriction. And that restriction Mm -hmm. is what allows us to progress to wisdom. I don't know. Sometimes the tree of life helps, I think. Um philosophizing yeah i mean i think you're definitely at one of those universal truths there like it's weird how and this kind of gets back into like cancel culture but it's weird how people you know talk about like i i found something this guy posted 10 years ago that's offensive and then if the guy comes forward and he's like i don't think that anymore then it's like yeah of course you don't know that you've been called out of course you would say that And it's interesting to me because I think most people, if they're being honest with themselves, have said or done something at some point in the past that they do not agree with anymore. And that should be the case. Because if I still to this day thought everything I said or did when I was 15 was a great idea and totally what I should be doing, that would mean I haven't grown in the past 18 years. That would mean I've learned nothing in 18 years of life. I still think that like the biggest measure of whether or not I want to hang out with someone is whether or not they're into the same music as me. Yeah. And they better not be a poser. Like that's stupid. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. No, the, yeah. Oh my God. It's so true. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 it. This cancel culture thing is 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 nonsense, and yet it's so terrifying because like I've lost, I've lost several businesses that I started due to it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. had, there was I, a I, guy here locally that used to run a store, and uh, luckily he had already closed down his store when this happened. But he said something in a comment section on Facebook. And like, I'm not going to say that he agree- that I agree with what he said. Um, but people then were like making like memes where they have like a picture of his store, even though it was already out of business. And they're like, yeah, this guy, the guy that owns this store said this thing, blah, blah, blah. And there were people talking about getting a quote unquote wrecking crew together and going to his house. And I'm like, you honestly think 
that you're the more righteous individual oh, yeah. because someone said something you disagreed with and you said, I'm going to go to his house and do violence. Yeah. Because I'm just so much more enlightened than him who said something I disagree with on the internet. Like that's fucking ridiculous. Well, the I idea that you think you have the moral high ground because you're going to go to somebody's house and like jump them because you disagree with them politically yeah is insanity it's the it's de rigueur it's the name of the day it's like the it's the way it is now like i, I guess you don't know this but like i was doxxed and had a home invasion oh yeah that's why that's I don't fucking have, terrifying. Why everything I, you know, my hundreds of thousands of dollars of books and property and instruments are gone now. Everything I own fits into a backpack because of that. And yeah. who have I've caught bits property, and pieces through the uh, yeah, podcast of have my property still brag about it online, and the cops just don't care. They're like, "Well, tough luck." No, and I, up. I don't even know what to do about that. Like, what are you meant to do about that? I mean, they're right. just, they're just like nan nan nan, and I'm like, shit. I guess I'm screwed. I mean, that's one of the reasons I sort of have some positive feelings about America because I've talked to cops in America, especially in the last year, and I was like, hey, what would you do in this situation? Like, we go into their house and get your things. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, especially if we saw in their house that they have like your bank statements and and birth certificate like we charge them with a, a crime i'm like i don't understand why the canada won't do the same thing i don't understand that at all but they won't under yeah. no circumstances will they do anything and that that led me to ask a very stupid question of the rcmp i asked so should i just go to people's houses and start robbing them they're like no we'd arrest you i'm like so why doesn't that apply in this case? <laughs> like, why would you arrest me if I rob someone's house, but you won't arrest the people who rob me? And they're just like, yeah, we can't answer that. Like, and I have recordings of all these conversations and it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. And mm -hmm. I found out some more stuff from lawyers and stuff. Apparently our legal system is set up that way, which doesn't make sense, but that's the police state for you you know cops cops here don't use rubber bullets anymore because the people kept surviving the shots and suing them <laughs> so they're like fuck rubber bullets <laughs> let's use live rounds now no one's protesting because they die <laughs> yeah Go i mean there. yeah i mean ideally the people who aren't the ones that got shot would then protest but <laughs> no in this country they yeah. They shoot people with live rounds, and then when other people protest, they shoot those people with rubber bullets. Um, uh, what a mess! What a mess! Eh? I don't think it's necessarily better. Yeah, it's, it's all fucked. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't like fascism coming from anyone, really. Yeah. And that's kind of where I've landed politically. Is I feel like I'm seeing fascism from both of the sides that I'm told are supposed to be my options. And uh, I would like neither. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we don't have much better up here with our three-party system, but you guys got it really brutal for, it's almost like just a big game, just one big show, shenanigans. It's, uh, I don't know. I pray for us all. I don't know. I just keep, it keeps pushing me back to magic is what I can tell you. It keeps pushing me back to 
subtle forces and uh i don't know if you can't change the world at least you can change yourself right yeah oh that's fair um yeah and ultimately i don't i don't know that there is a form of government that would be like swell um <laughs> in general i think and you know correct me if i'm wrong but as far as i know most forms of government require people to put a lot of work into getting themselves into that position. And I've never known someone who's willing to devote that type of time and effort into getting into a position of power. Yeah. That was also someone I wanted to see in a position of power. Like yeah. generally, if your life's work is to get power over other people, you should not fucking have it. You're the last guy that should have it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 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 for a while I was saying, what if we switched uh, politician salaries with school teacher salaries? You know? Yeah, I mean, perhaps. But I even, then, even, um, even then, there would still be the allure of power. Control um, apparently a very popular yeah. thing. I, I've never, I've mm. never, I've never really at all been keen about the idea of controlling someone else's life because I've always sort of felt like I, I, I don't want that responsibility. Life, yeah, my own <laughs> life takes enough time and energy to, and I wouldn't say I can control my own life at all, but like just sort of surviving it takes a lot of mm -hmm. time and energy. The last thing I would ever want is to have to worry about managing someone else's life. You know, right? That sounds like maybe the only reason I would be interested in that is if I was not, I was happy to not have any responsibility for my own life and displace that responsibility and put it on someone else and then focus well, on. Well, isn't that life. what most people who are like judging other people heavily are doing? Absolutely. I mean, they, they all need fucking hobbies. Um, yeah, the, the cancel culture has got, gotten uh, intense, to say the least. <sighs> Thank God for comedians. I'm glad people like you exist, <laughs> making us laugh. Well, yeah, I really love well, really the video you sent me of your comedy. That was great. I, I think you should start, uh, you know, I hope, I hope, well, once the clubs open up, you can do more and get it right. out and stuff you got you're, you're good you're very good well thank you very much i mean i certainly enjoy doing it um it is something that i want to keep at a hobby level oh, um yeah. yeah so i don't know it would be cool to try sometimes people do where they'll like travel to other cities and you know do that i think that could be cool but I mostly want to stay performing in my own town unless I could get like a group of friends where like we all take a week off or something and book like bars in different cities and do like a little road trip situation that I think would be fun. Yeah. Um, but I think that's really the only situation where I would be willing to like travel a lot for it. You know, like I'm not, I have no desire to be like, let me spend three hours alone in a car oh, so that I can stay up extra super late 
and do five minutes in a different city and then be exhausted at work tomorrow. Yeah. Like that's no, it's a slow. I'm not, that's not what I'm going for. And I think, uh, generally speaking, unless you have like maybe some sort of hope that like, maybe I'll be able to make this my career somehow, the exposure of going to a different city probably isn't that worth it to you. Um, and maybe that's, you know, just me, but yeah, no exposure. probably the only reason that I do a lot of traveling is if I could set up a thing where it's like, oh, I've got like three other comedians that I get along with real well. And we like signed on to play these bars in other cities and we all took the week off work and we're going to do like a fun road trip thing. That would be yeah. cool. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, no exposure is, of course, the great myth they tell us to get free work from us <laughs> right well and honestly like i prefer that it stay like a free thing for yeah. me because like well, i said before like in my personal experience i do not find that i enjoy making my art into a job i would rather it stay art i have like a boring corporate job that i will do to make my actual money and that's fine yeah yeah no that's that was always my approach I mean, if, 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 if you start making money, that's great. Like uh, my, my trick was always to go to uh go to a venue and say, uh, what's, what, what's your deadest night. And they would tell me, and I'd say, well, I'm going to come in and play that night. And they'd be like, okay. And we would go in and play for so long, so hard that next thing, you know, a month later, two months later, there's a line out the door. And then we're like, yo, uh, maybe you could give us some money. And they'd be like, yeah, we were, we were, uh, we were just waiting to see when you asked. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then, you know, you keep doing it, you keep doing it well and giving, you know, bleeding out on stage, giving your heart and soul. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're like, Hey, uh, you're like, Hey, I need a, I think we should get a bit more money. They're like, yep, we were waiting for you to ask. And then eventually they're just like, yo, here's, here's more money you don't need to ask. We, we know you deserve this. And then you're like, Oh shit, that that's a thing. Right. I, I always mm -hmm. believed in doing those things for as, as passions and hobbies. And if, right. if you happen to provide enough value to, to merit pay, then great. Um, but to, to demand it before you deserve it, that's a short term plan, you know? Right. Well, and, for me, what I don't like a lot of the times with monetizing art is that you lose some amount of creative control. Oh, um, for sure, for sure. Which is, you know, which is what I, why I quit radio is I didn't like, we had like a rotating door for a while of producers. So like every month I had a new boss and that boss would come in and be like, everything you do sucks. Here's the formula you are supposed to follow. And you'd get working in that formula. And then they'd change your boss again. And he'd come in and be like, everything you do sucks. You're horrible. I don't understand. Here's the formula I want you to work in. So you'd learn this new guy's formula. And as soon as he started to be like, hey, you're doing great. They fire him, bring in a new guy who tells you that everything you're doing sucks. And it's like, oh, I'm never going to like, I'm not going to grow in this art form because you keep 
like every time I start to get where I can actually do something with the rules you've set, you go, yep, nope, that's horrible. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the problem with uh, producers or publishers of any variety. Like non-artists controlling artists never made any sense to me. And uh, well, and most of these guys are artists because usually in radio, or at least in my experience, the producer is your morning show guy. Oh, really? But there are also artists that are trying to make sure that they stay one up on you. So like I had one producer, um, I was developing a podcast that was going to be called Under the Radar with Ray DuVernay. And it was going to be, I brought on like local bands and I'd do like interviews with them and play some of their music. And then suddenly some of the bands I had already talked to and already set shit up with were like, oh yeah, we've been talking to the morning show guy about it. And I was like, what? And I asked him about it and he's like, no, no, I'm not doing anything with local bands. I don't know what you're talking about. And then like the next month he had a segment on his show called wet paint where he talks about local bands that haven't been discovered and brings them on and does an interview. And then it was literally the exact same concept as my podcast. Yeah. Um, and you know, now it's his great idea, even though like his boss already knows that it was my idea. Cause like I workshopped it with his boss. Yeah. Um, but now it's your idea and you get the glory. And I, you know, just the afternoon weekend girl that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Or like I had one. Um, and actually this kind of segues into a, an amusing magical story. So one of them came in and he was like, yeah, you know, you're horrible. All of the guys higher up than me want me to fire you, but I'm going to try to save your job. And I think I can save your job if you just like follow this formula that I've figured out. <laughs> so I did a spell cause I was like shocked. I was like, oh my God, I've never gotten this feedback before that I like horrible and then now to come to find out that all the upper management wants me gone like today and this new guy is like fighting for my job whatever so I did a spell um to try and like remove my obstacles at work so that I would you know do better and uh this guy who had come in like just ended up like fucking up a bunch of shit and he ended up going off and working for a different show that then very shortly after got slammed with uh, charges for Nielsen fraud. Mm. Um, and then come to find out after he was gone, I, you know, mentioned this to one of the other DJs that like, oh yeah, he told me, like he was always so good to me. He told me about how all the higher ups want me gone and he's like fighting to save my job. And he's like, that's fucking bullshit. They all love you. He came in and said that he wanted to fire you and they wouldn't let him do it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing where it's like the same people that are supposed to help you are like in competition with you. Um, and then ultimately the, the, like the final straw that led me to quit is they kept having these meetings where they were, they had talked in a few meetings about how like, you know, the way you act in public, you know, you have to stay, 
like on the good side of the listeners, blah, blah, blah. You have to be polite to listeners because they're, you know, so you always got to be cool to everybody all the time. And uh, I was working a closed shift at a gas station because people in radio don't make the money that anyone thinks they make. Um, and this guy came in and he had come in a few times before and like talked to me about my show before. And, uh, he came in and he was like, you know, like somebody told me that you're a degenerate. And I was like, what? And he's like, someone told me that you're a lesbian. And like, that's real hard for me because I really enjoy your show, but I don't appreciate degenerates like that. And he like got up in my face. And he didn't know this, but I knew that the security camera at that gas station was broken at the time. And it was fucking terrifying for me that this guy felt like he had a right to get in my face and talk to me about, you know, who he is or is not okay with me fucking, Mm. which at the time I was in a monogamous relationship with a man anyway. So it's like, it's ridiculous to begin with. It's, you know, but like he heard from someone that I'm sometimes in relationships with women and took it upon himself because he has a right because I'm a public figure to get in my face and yell at me about how he doesn't like degenerates and that's a conflict for him because he enjoys my comedy and that was when I quit because I was just like no I don't I don't have it in me to be afraid that I'm about to get fucking beat down at a gas station and still have to be polite because that's a potential listener. Fuck that. Like, I can't do it. Yeah, man. Entertainment, huh? What do we, what, why do we bother? <laughs> well, I'm like, you know, with things like doing stand-up comedy, like, I'm not... There is no boss to be like, I, I can't believe you sucked that guy in the face. He's a potential listener. You know, like... And even like if a guy who ran a show took that stance, everyone else in the city would be like, you know what? Fuck that one comedy show. Did you hear what he tried to tell Ray? (laughs) So, you know, the, the balance of power makes a difference in people's lives for sure. But um, I just never want to have a boss telling me how to do my art or how to do my magic ever again. Yeah. Like. I, uh, I mean that's that's where I come down on on all the the publishing stuff. I have I have uh, friends at Viking and Random House, and their advice to me was always, uh, "Don't go with a a big publisher; they're gonna rip you off." It's just a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing taking advantage of artists. And uh, when I saw the numbers on a lot of friends of mine books who went with mainstream publishers, I was just shocked. They're, they they made nothing, like nothing. And it's like, right. Jesus Christ, would you rather, what would you rather, would, you know, would you rather you could sell 10,000 books and make a dollar per book, mm-hmm. or you could sell a thousand books and make $10,000. Right. To me, that's a no brainer. Right. And fortunately, yeah. the, you know, and we're lucky to live in a time where the technology in the market exists for that to be possible. So why would you want to hand over so much of your control and in, in, in music, you, you know, you hand over your masters. Like we still have people like people like Kanye and stuff like that are, are fighting tooth and nail to get control and own their own music. 
the idea mm -hmm. of someone else ever owning a song that I wrote and performed and recorded is nightmarish to me. It's it's like right. if if I someone if I found out somehow that someone else owned one of my songs, I'd fucking I'd go ballistic. So the idea right. that that's been like de rigueur all this time to me is horrifying. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how anyone could allow their art to be owned by someone else. It's just disgusting. Um, but that's there was a guy who got his video taken down off of YouTube. And this was years and years ago. Um, but he had recorded it in like one of the bigger studios. <laughs> and somehow or another, that studio reported his video of him doing a live performance of his own song as copyright infringement. And they didn't even actually own the rights to yeah. the song, yeah. but YouTube just automatically believes a studio of a certain size saying, oh, nope, that was recorded at our studio, so we own it. And it was recorded at their studio, but they didn't own it. Um, yeah. yeah. And he had to like fight with YouTube to be able to have videos of his own music. You can listen to my albums on YouTube posted by other people but if i post my own music it gets taken down for copyright infringement mm -hmm. that's crazy i haven't made a penny off digital downloads or listens in uh 11 years whereas i used to make over a grand a month from that stuff and there's right. nothing i can do about it it's the weirdest thing ever and and uh you know artists need to start fighting back in a real way if we're going to change that and i i i don't know what else to say about it but like you know, I hope things change. I hope some of these big players like actually do make a difference and and change the uh, the the culture so that we can actually you know make art and that artists can make art and and get what they deserve from it. The idea that that music or art should be free it, it's absurd, and I don't get it at all. You know, yeah. I'm not sure if we can possibly end this on a, on a, on an uplifting note, given we've just gone <laughs> over the place, but that's the nature of these things. Um, we've, right. we've gone over four hours now. Should we wrap up? Yeah, we probably should. Well, we we're, we're champions. We, 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 we did an epic podcast and I'm so, so glad to get to talk to you and get to know you. It's been really, uh, really delightful. We'll have to uh, catch up again sometime. But yeah, this is what oh, I love. This is, why, this is why I am still on Instagram is because I get to meet people and and I've met so many amazing people and, you know, I'm so naturally resistant to the idea of building relationships on the internet. I always I always hate talking to people online. I hate texting and typing and emailing. I, I'd much rather talk to people on the phone, but that's, that's the Gen Xer in me speaking, I guess. You know, I need to, uh, I need to deal with it. Fair enough. Hey, can I ask you, um, how did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to have me on the podcast? Because I've noticed this summer, I've been a guest on more podcasts than I've been on in my entire life. I've been on three different podcasts. Like, I guess it's not summer anymore, but these past few months. Um, and before that, the only podcast I'd ever been on was my own, which I haven't done for years. Um, no, you just seem like so, interesting interesting person who uh has stuff to say and that's all it takes to get my interest really and you know we we chatted in dms and and uh you know 
that was fun and interesting, right? You know, I, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's all there is to it. I like, I like human beings and I love talking to magicians and other traditions. And what can I say? It's just, I like connecting with people and yeah. Well, it was an honor to come on. Um, you're definitely one of my favorite podcasts. So okay. I was very excited that you asked me to be on it. Well, it's great to have a, a you know, a comedian bisexual witch on to get back some of my listens <laughs> I lost from my Republican buddy, hammered from all my, my listens and stuff. Actually, Spotify removed almost 2,000 listens from my podcast. Now, I'm not sure how they could remove actual listens from the stats, but they did. Yeah, that's weird. They did. Huh. They did. And I don't understand it. And I've given up trying to understand it because, right. you know, fuck it. Who cares? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Is it like people writing in an angry letter and they're oh. like, dear no. Spotify, I'm offended by something that somebody said. And while you can't give me back my 20 minutes, please give me back my listen. And then they're like, okay, we'll subtract one listen. <laughs> Is that well, how it works? Like, you know, if someone has a, if someone's YouTube, like here's some, you want some, some black hat insider, dark, dark web tricks. Sure. It has a popular YouTube. I used to not tell, talk about this because I was afraid I'd be educating people who would do it to me, but I'm already demonetized and, and fucked on every platform that will ever exist because they're all interconnected. So nothing I do matters really. Um, but if like, so if you want to destroy someone's YouTube, all you have to do is go on Fiverr and pay like 20 or 50 bucks for some Indian web farm to buy them a ton of listens. If you pay for someone else's YouTube video, to, if you mm -hmm. buy them like 10,000 views, YouTube will notice that and permanently demonetize them because huh. it's false. So you just bought someone listens, they'll be like, whoa, my video blew up. And then they're demonetized because YouTube knows it's BS. Shit, and you yeah. said it's called Fiverr? Oh, you can go Fiverr. You can go on any website where you hire digital cowboys and and you can do that. Hmm. Or you can hire people on, like, you know, hire someone on Fiverr to hire someone to get like 40 flags on someone's Instagram thing. This is what people did to me. It's why I, my, my Instagrams are shadow banned. They don't go up mm -hmm. or down in any significant amount, no matter what I do. Like I built my, my public Instagram Asteric eBooks for, mm -hmm. organically, very organically within a year up to 6,000 uh, follows. And then it stopped because I encountered some enemies who were like, fuck this guy. And they got a mass flagging going on. There was a pile on, and that's it. You're done for good. Another account on another, on my Facebook, people made a fake Facebook of me with my name, speaking in first person, saying all these horrible things about myself. And then when I shared that profile on my actual profile to call it out, I got flagged for hate speech. Oh my goodness! So I was sharing evil things that people were pretending I was saying and even death threats. Like, like I posted a text message I got to my phone saying, mm -hmm. die, you faggot diva, motherfucker, piece of shit, die. I'm going to kill you. And I shared that on my wall and said, what the fuck am I meant to do with this? How do, what's the recourse people give me some help. And I got flagged yeah. and shut down and they permanently deleted my account for hate speech. And the yeah, person who posted, who posted that, didn't 
So it's like mm -hmm. the people who do the crimes get rewarded and the pe their victims get punished. And that is the system that we have created for ourselves. And I think it's not actually that unhealthy to talk about these things. It, it can definitely seem whiny, but if we don't actually become aware of this, one day they will come for you. Like that's right. It's like it's like the same thing as like how some schools have like the zero tolerance bullying policy. And that makes sense on paper. But then you have kids whose form of bullying is going to the teacher and saying that this other kid who didn't do shit bullied them. Yeah, it's subtle. But because they know that all they have to do is say that that happened. And then all this horrible stuff happens to that kid. Yeah. Yeah. Manipulative people will always manipulate whatever system you put into place. And yeah. it sucks because we'd all love to think that we came up with the magical system that's going to keep shitty people from existing at all. But mm -hmm. that just isn't true. We used to just ignore those people, but now they they all have Twitter and platforms so uh you know, we're forced to listen to them or deal with them and you know, we, we do the, the, the algorithms pr uh, promoting hate and, and conflict. That's the problem, right? Like they're yeah. prioritizing that. So it, it's encouraging and privileging people who want to promote more hate and aggression. And, and that's why you see all these takedown videos and all these like, you know, uh, uh, clickbaits, you know, this person said this and you'll never believe what happened. It's like, and then there's no actual content. It's just, Fake outrage, but there's well, no and the other thing too is like people have created their own weird extra polarizing echo chambers with yeah. the whole concept of like if you don't think the same thing as me on X subject, delete me now. And it's like, well, I I don't understand why I need to delete you because I don't think the same as you on that. It's obviously not actually bothering you because you don't know what i think on it to delete me yourself so like and it's happened on both sides like this isn't like a left thing or a right thing i've seen people do it with like christianity where if if you don't pray in the name of jesus christ take me off of your facebook right now and it's like well why like you've been friends with me for all these years you've known i'm not the same religion as you this whole fucking time but now you're on Facebook talking about how you don't want to have anything to do with anyone who doesn't pray in the name of Jesus Christ. At the very least, you should be forced to exert the effort in ending our friendship. Not me. I didn't do shit to you, and I'm not upset that you believe in Jesus. So, well, it's like these uh, these Romani people trying to cancel my friends for doing tarot, right? And uh, they're like you said, you you pointed out that the tarot use by Romani people was originally, it was actually a stereotype they've now adopted and turned into. I, I love that you pointed that out. Like it wasn't actually accurately a part of their tradition because it actually comes from the Roman Catholic faith. But then they, the stereotype became real in their own minds and then a source of conflict and a, a means for them to accuse other people to get them canceled. And uh, I mean, what can we say about that, right? Like, uh, yeah, if if they uh, if they uh, if they uh, if they don't want to be uh, 
stereotyped, maybe they should stop living into that stereotype. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, perhaps. I All know. of that stuff gets so complicated and weird. And honestly, at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is kind of a case-by-case -case basis thing, you know? These things um, would be really... Just like, just like with the hoodoo thing and me. I understand the logic behind people saying that white people shouldn't practice hoodoo because the idea of hoodoo is supposed to be that you're working with your ancestors and if your ancestors don't have a connection to that magic, then it won't work. But also, how does that then apply to people who are white, but of that ancestry? Well, I've been told many times that uh, that it's uh, that I I I can't play Celtic music because I wasn't born in Ireland, right? Yeah. Like, if you're not born there, it's racist for me to play that music, and I'm like well, you're Irish and you live in Canada. So are your children, when they're born here, not going to be allowed to play Irish music? The, and the, the response was, well, no, because they'll be Irish. I'm like, but if I'm not Irish because I wasn't born in Ireland and you're going to have kids in Canada, why are, why are they more Irish? They're like, well, because I'm Irish. I'm like, so you're from there having kids here and that makes them Irish but my family having kids here doesn't make them Irish. You don't see that problem in the logic there. And then, right. you know, what, what do you say? You, then, you know, you can't show logic. You can't, you can't bring understanding about usually to that kind of bigotry through logic. And that's the unfortunate right. thing about this very into anti-intellectual age we live in. And the other problem that no one wants to talk about, which is something that's really relevant uh, these days is that, we people are very sensitive about this but there's the issue of just there's people out there with low iq and that's a thing i know i'm probably gonna get canceled for saying that but <laughs> i mean some people have low iq that's a real thing they're just not able to think on the level you know they're just a level down and that's not going to change and they think they're right about what they think, but they're just not that capable. It's right. Well, and I mean, there's a lot of people with high IQ that aren't oh. um, necessarily yeah. accessing it to the fullness of their ability to. 100%. Um, 100%. And there's a lot of social conditioning that goes into these things as well. You know, if I run in a social circle where I know that I'm going to lose all my friends unless I support this politician or that politician, then it becomes much more difficult when they do something that I maybe in my heart of hearts don't agree with to say, yeah, no, actually, I think he might be a sleazeball though. Like, <laughs> um, and I think that there's a lot of that that goes on and that people don't admit to because we just have this very weird culture right now of polarizing everything and everyone trying to be as extreme in whichever direction they've chosen as they possibly can be. Um, and things aren't necessarily that black and white all the time. Um, yeah. Most of the time they're not, you know, there's a reason 
that so many like magical entities and magical paths focus upon the concept of balance. Yeah. You know, you have Baphomet is both bringing together and breaking apart is both night and day is earth and air and fire and water because ultimately most things in our lives are going to be about balance and you know that really is what it comes down to is finding the point in the middle that works for you and is true for you as opposed to having to pick a side on everything. Yeah. It makes me also think when you say that, that we just need to maybe, you know, not just be kinder, but also just take ourselves a little less seriously. Right. Because. Oh, absolutely. We're all going to fucking die. And a lot of the shit that we think matters doesn't matter at all. And maybe if we thought about that just a little bit, we would just chill out and enjoy the beauty of nature and, the fact that we're these divine sparks in a physical form for a flicker of time and just, you know, try and enjoy it a little bit. There's, there's nothing wrong with the French concept of jouissance, you know, self-ecstatic, overflowing, effervescent joy of existing. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to stop punishing ourselves for enjoying who we are and what we feel and think. Like, have fun with it. Fucking roll with it. Stop being such prudes and bigots and closed-minded like i can't stand talking with people who agree with me about things or everything like that's boring as hell oh my god like when i hang out with my friends the main goal of most of our conversation is to find out areas where we disagree with each other and then run our mouths on each other tearing each other apart as much as we can and discovering the fallacies in our own thoughts as well as each other's in the process. It's a shit show. It's a fucking cataclysm of dialogue. And that's the best thing. That's the best thing. Cause you go away, hopefully just, if not a little bit transformed, then definitely smiling because you realize the absurdity of this whole game of life. And I don't know, there's my, wow. I've been awake for like, a long time now those are my ramblings okay. oh my god this is <laughs> well we probably should wrap it up so that you can get some sleep before i say something i'll really regret <laughs> i don't know how i could say anything crazier than the stuff i've already said on this it's okay um, you'll edit it out so. uh your delight please send me any more comedy videos of you doing stand-up because fuck that's hilarious shit you're 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 very skilled lady and yeah we'll do this again talk more magic i love hearing about alexandrian witchcraft it's so different from everything i know well good that's always interesting to learn more about things that you don't know um which i think is you know one of been kind of one of our recurring themes in this conversation is like knowing that we don't know everything and we don't know what we don't know that's a Taylor Swift. Exactly. I love Taylor. Is it? Because you don't know what you don't know. Someday I'll be living in a big old city and all you're ever going to be is mean. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, bop, ba doo ba dop. Bop, doo dop, bop, um, bop, ba doo ba dop. Ba doo ba doo. Yeah, yeah. All right. We ended with the best way we could possibly end with it, which is Hanson. I can't believe we did like 15 minutes on Hanson on this podcast. That's the reason I do this is so that we can talk with a coven leader in in Michigan. I went to East Lansing University. We'll save that till next time briefly. Um, but yeah. Welcome. To, yeah. God bless Michigan. I hope you guys are doing well and survive. And don't forget to wear your mask, especially when you're alone in your home. all right many blessings my friend we will sign off four and a half hours almost god bless you may uh, all right and to you as well you have a great night may baphomet sing you to sweet dreams i i have a baby baphomet song it's like a lullaby but it we'll save it for another time (laughs) baby baphomet versus baby yoda the fight to death all right that would be weird okay good night (laughs) have a good night many blessings cheers you as well Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk